get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. In the air, left center. Hap is over. He looks up. That ball is gone. Nolan Gorman with an opposite field homer. As this ball launched high in the air, deep right. That one's not coming back. Newt Barr halfway up the bleachers. And listen to the Cardinal fans. Swing fly ball. Belton left center. There's number 14 for the lead. A fly ball of depth gets you an insurance run. Little pop might too. Into shallow right. That's going to drop. Kistner's got another double. A bloop makes it six to four. Little pop into center. Carlson coming on. He's got it. And the Cardinals have won it. Three-game win streak for St. Louis. They've won the series. And how about the Redbirds? Power early, power late. And the Cup fans go home unhappy. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie Audio, courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. Oh, how good it feels for the Cardinals to have their first winning streak of the season. It's the first time all year that they have won three straight. They win the first two in this series so far against the Chicago Cubs. Alex, it's the first time that they have won a series since they went to Colorado, and that took place on April 10th through the 12th. And I was so it much younger then. A month since the last time that the Cardinals won a series. It is good to see this once again. The biggest thing, and you heard it there from Chip Carey, they're slugging again. T-Bone, your mantra of slug, baby, slug, it's come back to fruition for the Cardinals. Now, we didn't see the results in terms of the wins in some of these games, but in their last seven, the Cardinals are slugging 470 as a team. Last night, the storyline was really the home runs. Like that's what changed things for them as much as we can talk about the pitching and we will as much as we can talk about the defense and we will the Cardinals are hitting the ball hard they're hitting the ball in the air and it's going over the fence that's what's changing right now for them as a team yeah and I mean offense is winning them games and the reason that the first month of the season went so porous was because everything was going wrong not only were you not slugging but your pitching was bad consistently and you were making defensive errors and that has gotten tighter too if I'm going to take anything away from not just last night but these last two games it's they look more confident. Absolutely. It's tighter. It's a tighter ball game. That play by Nolan Gorman two weeks ago, he's throwing that to first base, and it's going over the head of Paul Goldschmidt, and a run is scoring, and the game is blowing up. You're talking about the play. It double was a play scissors ball. play. Yeah. It could have been a double play potentially, but it was it was probably too he late the by right the time decision. that he was able to step on the bag. 
Now, in some situations, you could have seen him step on the bag and then try to float to his right and throw across his body. That very well could have been an error. It ends up advancing the runners. And now we're talking about a completely different game. Instead, he eats it. He gets the out that was necessary in that spot. It was a smart baseball play by Nolan Gorman. I do want to take it aside real quick. I think Nolan Gorman's a really high IQ baseball player. Now, sometimes he doesn't make the plays that you'd want him to. Athletically, he's just he's not Tommy Edmond out there at second base. But whether it's the base running plays that we've seen from him over the last year or so, or the defensive play sometimes that he makes and some of the plays that he just eats, I think Nolan Gorman's a really high IQ player. He was the one that made the base running decision last year too, correct? So you're getting those plays right now, and you weren't getting them for two, three weeks straight for this Cardinals team, which is why it felt like the, the sky was falling here. So look, it's a good stretch of victories for them it's good to win a series it's good to win the first game of the series it's good to have the first winning streak of the series but now i'm gonna poo poo in your cheerios come on man because you did it against a wednesday you get it against a team that you should be beating so three minutes in dude can you just have it let us have this wow no i'm no no how it is. Should I we be beating them, though? They're I, better than us I, going into this series. Yeah, because of the, how bad they were in the first month of the season. I just don't want to get hurt again. Um, but this is at least fun to see right now for the Cardinals. Yeah, well, I'm not going to pee in your Cheerios this morning. I, I was really impressed with the way they've been playing lately. And it, it comes back to what you said. The fundamental baseball is back for the St. Louis Cardinals, at least right now. I, I look at you got the Gorman play last night. You got a nice, great defensive play by Donovan in the left field. Um, and, and you're starting to see that slug baby slug. And it's too hard, and I said this early in the year, it's hard to go station to station. That's what the Cardinals kind of fell into in the first month of the season. And and because they're playing fundamental baseball, there isn't that snowball inning. Like last night, they had a chance for that in the, what was it, the fifth inning on Jack where Suzuki hits the deep fly out to left and Donovan's there. Really thought it was a grand slam and thought the game was going to be over, but it wasn't. Uh, they, they've been avoiding that snowball inning to where it is, hey, there's a massive crooked number that's put up on the board. Yeah, they gave up two, I think, in the third when Swanson hit the home run. That shouldn't be a home run because there's a basket at Wrigley Field. Uh, Newport would have caught that if not for a basket. But <laughs> I, uh, I caught, man. Stupid Where'd Wrigley go? Field. Um, but I, I, it's uh, that Ivy got in his eye. It's the, it, it's the fact that the fundamental baseball is back for the St. Louis Cardinals and, and the production from the bottom of the order for me in last night's game. Like, as much as we've talked about the catcher situation, all credit's due to Andrew Kisner because he's got the fourth best OPS on this team since the month of May at 950. Andrew Kisner's OPS is 950 since the month has started. So they're starting to get guys that are heating up. You're still waiting for Arnado to get back on track. But if he does, now you feel really comfortable about the way this offense is going to look because you're starting to see those complementary pieces start playing the way that we've been expecting them to. How about Dylan Carlson, guys? Took over as the team's everyday center fielder on April 28th. Now, it isn't perfect. I'm not going to suggest that it has been. But defensively, I think he's calmed things down out there. I, I think he is the best defensive center fielder that they have available to them right now. He's not, in my opinion, Harrison Bader, but he's really solid. And so far in this stretch, there have only been two games in which Dylan Carlson does not have a hit since taking over as the everyday center fielder. In his last four games, he has a home run and a triple. He's starting to hit the ball harder. He's starting to hit the ball in the air a little bit more often. In his last seven, he has a slugging percentage of 520. But BK, I thought he couldn't hit righties. Apparently, he's starting to be able to do that. Apparently, a 24-year-old can continue to improve. I'm not convinced that that is actually going to sustain. Agreed. You're going to take the blindfolds off. 
I am not worried about that, though, right now. This is the same way that I feel about Paul DeYoung. He's your everyday shortstop right now against right-handed pitchers. I am not convinced that what we're watching right now is real and will sustain for the rest of the year. I don't know. Like, if I had to bet right now, I don't think Paul DeYoung will be your starting shortstop in the playoffs. I'm not sure that Dylan Carlson will be starting in center field against right-handed pitchers in the playoffs. And right now, it doesn't matter, dude. (laughs) Right now, what you need is production. And those guys are giving it to you. Andrew Kisner, man, the timing could not be more perfect. I was just going to say that. But Andrew Kisner is producing right now. And so it does take a lot of the pressure off of Wilson Contreras to immediately get back to playing catcher. If Andrew Kisner was over the last five games producing the way that he had been over the last, you know, four years, we would be shouting from the mountaintops for them to figure this out with Wilson Contreras as soon as possible. It's not necessary right now. Andrew Kisner has been really solid behind the plate and he's been doing a very good job at the plate as a hitter. So right now, what's different for them? They're getting production from the bottom of the order. Brendan Donovan looks like himself again, guys. He's getting to three, two counts regularly. Last night, he takes his walk. He's hitting the ball a little harder. Now it's not top 10 percentile in the league. You don't expect it to be, but he's hitting for some doubles now. He looks like the player that we saw from him a year ago. Things are just starting to, it feels like, calm down a little bit all over with this how much of this do you buy into the fact that now you're getting this production from these guys because they're not looking over their shoulders in terms of somebody else coming in i i think this was always going to happen but see i feel like for carlson and donovan not having to wonder if i'm going to play in the next day i believe has impacted those players kisner is a different story paul de young's a different story but at least for Carlson and Donovan, those are two guys that came into the season thinking they were everyday players. It started off that they weren't. And then you're wondering how to get back to it. And now you're at least knowing like, hey, I'm going to be center fielder tomorrow. Hey, I'm going to be playing left field tomorrow. I, I do feel like it plays into those two at least. Maybe. I, I think the one for like Carlson, for example, I don't know. Like the production is not off the charts. It's not. If you look at what it was, I I was cherry picking a little bit when it came to the numbers that I was using over like basically since taking over as the everyday center fielder. You were cherry picking on a Wednesday. Yeah, I decided to, you know, go with the hey, this has been good. Look at how great he's been recently. He's been really good. (laughs) But now let's slap you in the face. I was going to say my numbers are from he did what the last four games. Yeah. in the month of May, he's only hitting 200. So again, he took over as your everyday starting center fielder on April 28th. In this stretch, he's batting 220, 220 with an on-base percentage of 250 and an OPS of 665. That is still not good. That is below league average offensively. So is this because he's starting every day? No, I don't think so. I think it's because he's in a little bit of a hot streak lately. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with this, guys. Like As long as you find that level, and for Dylan Carlson, the level might be about a league average hitter and he does more of his damage against lefties than he does against righties that's cool nothing wrong with that we saw that with harrison bader you can be a winning team it's my same argument for carlson as it was for harrison bader i'm going to be consistent on this good center field defensively above average offensively 
and a guy that bats like seventh or eighth in your order on Mose, specifically against right-handed pitchers. So there's nothing wrong because with that. You're relying, as long as the other guys right. are hitting. You're relying on other guys to be the 100%. top performers for you. But I do believe it's impactful if you have guys like that. That's what makes Atlanta so good. Because the bottom of the order still comes through in clutch situations. They don't have guys who are hitting 190 and say, well, we don't have to worry about them. They've got guys that can come up with a big hit if you ask them to. Yeah, I, I, I think when you look at the lineup right now, you're you're seeing the bottom part of it get hot, and it's helping lead to some of this winning this three game stretch specifically. Uh, but if we're two weeks away, like two weeks from now, if we're sitting here and we and we're saying, hey, the Carlson's cooled off, Kisner's cooled off, uh, who's it? Oh, Paul DeYoung. If Paul DeYoung's cooled off, like we're not going to be talking about winning baseball because you need Nolan Arnado to get back on track. Like as much as I kind of understand where Alex is coming from, of yeah, this is what teams like Atlanta do. You don't have the guys that Atlanta has. You need Arnado to get back on track. You need Contreras to be the third impact bat. Like, this is just a hot streak right now for the bottom part of the order that's going to lead to winning. If you don't get Arnado going before that, these guys cool off, this team's going to get right back to where they were in April, where they're not playing winning baseball and they're struggling to finish games. By the way, since you brought up Atlanta as the example, can we use them as an example on the positive side of things for the Cardinals for just a moment? It depends. Are you cherry-picking? Probably. Um, So... We all really liked Michael Harris last year, right? Great rookie season, was outstanding all year long, finished the year as like a 300 hitter, was out, amazing center field defensively, fast, does everything you want, right? Yeah, I wouldn't have given him the contract extension, but yes. 35% above league average. Have you guys looked at what his numbers are this year? Well, he spent a lot of time hurt, I thought, early in the year. He's only played in 15 games so far this year, but again, cherry picking a cherry little bit. Cherry picking. He's batting right now like seventh and eighth in their order. He's hitting 210. He's been 22% below league average offensively. He has had basically zero power. He has one home run so far this season. Eddie Rosario, fun player, right? Pretty good offensively. This year, he's batting 250. He's getting on base less than 30% of the time. He has very little pop in his bat so far this year, but again, 20% below league average offensively. Those are the guys that right now are batting fifth and seventh in their order most days. As much as we talk about the Cardinals and say their guys are not hitting, their guys are struggling. Man, you can look across Major League Baseball. There's a lot of dudes that are struggling right now. Good players that will eventually find their level. That's how I feel about the Cardinals as well. But you know what my long-term mantra is for baseball? The first couple of months of the season, weird-ish happens. Yeah, yeah. Look at look at Aaron Judge. Yeah. Aaron Judge has not been good so far this year either. His hip might have fallen off. But well, yeah. But hey, they knew that when they signed him to the 10-year, 5,000... $5,000? $5,000. That's a hell of a deal. A hell of a deal. The, the nice thing for the Cardinals is that the biggest issue for them offensively has been and remains Nolan Arenado. And I'm going to spin this. Spin rate. Nolan Arenado is not going to hit this way all year long. It's just not going to happen. He's eventually going to start hitting. And how when long, that does take place, it's going to start looking how pretty long good. Do we, Until how your long pitching can we say falls that? apart. All year. Nolan Arnado is going to figure it out. Yeah, but you know, I think I might give up in like I am July. Not con- I'm not more convinced of anything in my life than I am that Nolan Arnado will eventually is start the pitching. Hitting. Now get he's better? not going to hit. I can't promise you that <laughs> because <laughs> that's all I really <laughs> care about right that now. I can't promise you. What I can promise you though is that the NL Central stinks, and True. they're leaving the door open for the St. Louis Cardinals. We'll get into that. John Denton, Cardinals Insider, joins us coming up at 11:30. We got to talk about this Central Division because we're watching right now the Cardinals against the Cubs. Alex, you said Cardinals are doing what they should do against the Cubs. I agree with you. That also speaks pretty loudly about where this central division is right now. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. They are still the team to beat in the Central, which might sound crazy given how poorly they generally have played. But here's the the fa- simple fact is they've got more talent than anybody in the division. That was Buster only yesterday on the balloon party. If you missed any of his conversation with Tim McKernan, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. And the free 101 ESPN app is where you can go to find it. Yeah, I agree with him. It sounds absolutely insane to say that the Cardinals should still be considered the favorite in the NL Central. Alex, they're 13 and 24 this season. They have lost seven of their last 10 games. This is the first time that they've won three straight all season. Yeah, standings don't matter. And so for me to sit here and tell you, like, yeah, you should buy back into the Cardinals as they currently have the worst winning percentage in the the National League, that's a little tough for me to make the case. But then I look at it and I see what the Pirates have done lately, where they've lost eight of their last 10 games. I look at what the Brewers are doing right now, where they have lost. They lost three straight against the uh, Rockies. They lost two out of three against the Giants. Now they've lost one of two to the Dodgers. Like they're not playing good baseball right now. The Chicago Cubs coming into this series were struggling, and now they've lost two straight against the Cardinals, the Cincinnati Reds. Man, they've been the best team in the division, and it's basically because they were able to beat up on the Oakland Athletics. Alex, this division's terrible. It's every bit as bad as we expected it to be coming into the season. The one thing that threw our scent off a little bit is, hot damn, Pirates (laughs) got off to a really nice start. Other than that, though, everybody has struggled so far this year. Are they leaving the door open for the Cardinals in a way that we were unprepared for? Well, yeah, I mean, they absolutely are because we all believed that Pittsburgh was going to fall back down to earth. Chicago was going to do the same. Cincinnati was going to do the same. Milwaukee's the one that is still going to be the competitor for the Cardinals. And I know that the Cubs pitching staff has been much better than anybody gives them credit for, but their pitching staff compared to Milwaukee's pitching staff. Milwaukee's pitching staff actually strikes fear into you. Chicago is just, oh, wow, they're actually good. So I'm still not sold on the fact that they're the superior team in the NL Central because, frankly, they split the series against the Pirates. They lost the series to Milwaukee. It's the first series win that they've had in the division all season. But if you go into the next series against Milwaukee this month and find a way to pull out two of three, if you win three of four or sweep the Cincinnati Reds, then, yeah, I'm going to be ready to buy back into this team winning the NL Central. I still believe that they will be the top dog. But it's going to be difficult to clearly run away with it if you're the Cardinals because of the hole you dug in the first month of the season and because your pitching staff still has struggled. Yeah. Is the door open for them? Yes, I I, I believe so. Because I I think the Cubs, Pirates, and Brewers, I think they're all good teams. They're fine. I I don't think they're great. But it's hard to be excited about that when the expectation for the Cardinals coming into the year was, hey, they should be good enough to where they can compete for a top-two spot in the National League. So. Is the door open for the St. Louis Cardinals? Yes, because the division is not very good. Every one of these teams has flaws in it. Cincinnati just has, still hasn't realized they're bad. Um, but I, I look at, uh, I, I look at the division, and I don't know if it gets me excited for the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, would it be fun to see them win the division? Yeah, but 
considering this is the start to your year when you were supposed to be a team that we said the goal should be to be top two in the National League. I mean, that goal is basically out the window, I think. So I, I find it to where it's, it's tough to get excited about, hey, yeah, they're, gonna, they're, they're definitely going to claw back and win the NL Central. But the way they've started in winning this division just doesn't mean a whole lot because it's not that good. So in 2014, the Cardinals were four games back on May 30th. In 2019, they were five games back on May 30th. In 2022, just last season, they were four games back on May 30th. Right now, you're eight games back. I think my big question is, can you get it to within like five by the end of the month? Can, can you gain three games in this division by the end of the month. Do you guys think that's doable? Because they those seasons, 2014, 2019, 2022, they won the division all three seasons. 2019, they ended up doing it, but they were a little they were better early on that season. They didn't fall back until like mid-June, but I just wanted to use like the same timeline uh as perspective. But those other years where they won the division, they they did have some struggles at times early on in the season. They did fall four or five games back in the division. So do you think that they can get to within five games by the end of the month? They've got, for what it's worth, 20 games starting tonight. You've got Boston, Milwaukee, uh, Cincinnati, the Dodgers, Cleveland, and Kansas City. Those are your opponents in this stretch. So how many, a lot of pretty average teams. So how many games would you have to win to get back to that? I mean, it depends on what your division does around you. But, yeah. I mean, if the Pirates, if we expect them to continue struggling the way that they have, you probably need to go slightly above 500 in this I, stretch. I would say if you look at this, you've got 20 games left. You've got, what is this, seven series the rest of the way? You're probably talking about having to win five of those seven series to put yourself in that spot. Twelve and eight might get you there. Maybe something I, like that. I, I, I I'm skeptical on that because Boston's been playing much better as of late. Uh, the Brewers, like I mentioned, for some reason you always have struggles with them. Then you've got the Dodgers. Cincinnati and Kansas City is going to be your real opportunity to open that Cleveland's door. Cleveland's been bad too. Cleveland's to expectations been, been bad, but with the Cardinals pitching staff, I'm a little concerned how that's going to go for them for Cleveland's offense. So I, I would say I'm skeptical on that because you're talking about having a really, you're talking about having a polar opposite month than what you just saw in April. And although that should be easy to do for how bad April was, you've got tough teams in May still. I, I think they can do it. I, I, I think they could leapfrog potentially two, three teams in this stretch because not so much for faith but in the Cardinals based on what we've seen because I kind of agree their pitching staff leaves you up to being upset in a series like 100%. against Detroit. But I, I look at all these other teams. Like the Cardinals' schedule on paper, given the eyeball test, you look at it and go, eh, you know, there's some tough series in there, but it shouldn't be that difficult. Pittsburgh's schedule is going to be tough. They've got Baltimore, Detroit, Arizona, Texas, Seattle, San Fran. Milwaukee's is going to be tough. They've got a lot of those same teams in that stretch, and the same can be said for the Chicago Cubs. So They're I, going through the stretch right now, those teams that you just mentioned, that the Cardinals just went through. Yeah. They, so, man, the, the Brewers' stretch is br- brutal. Yeah. St. Louis, Tampa, Houston, San Francisco at Toronto Pittsburgh to finish is, out this month. Pittsburgh's is tough too because they're going on the exact same West Coast trip that you did at the end of the month yep. at Seattle, at San Francisco, and then I don't know if they end up coming back home or if they continue on. They do come back home for the uh, Cardinals. But I, I look at that and I say it, it should be one of those where the Cardinals, if they are turning the corner, they should be able to play better baseball and be able to win a bunch of games here this month and start to climb their way back up into the NL Central race. And I look at the other schedule for those other three teams because I think every team in this division is flawed. Cincinnati, more flawed than others. But all those teams are flawed. 
I think that those teams are going to struggle in their, their stretches. These The Pirates, the Cubs, and the Brewers. The Cardinals, even though they've got flaws, should be able to be better than them and climb their way up. I think they can get into second place by the end of the month. Text line makes a good point. They don't have a day off after tomorrow until the beginning of June. That's a lot of games against some tough opponents with no days off. That will be intriguing to see how they handle that, and that's going to play into it for how much your pitching staff has struggled. Yeah, I, I'm not suggesting this is going to be easy. Also, I'm not telling you that they're going to go like, 17 and three in this 20 game stretch Talk about 12 and eight. I, I think that might be good enough to gain a few games within this division because of how bad everybody is around you and how difficult their schedules are. We were talking four and two on the last road trip and they didn't totally pull anything out. I, absolutely. And this is why, like, it's hard for me to look at the teams that are on the schedule because we just did this with the Angels and the uh, Detroit Tigers and they failed spectacularly in that homestand against those two teams, both of whom are bad. So like looking at. Cincinnati, Cleveland, Kansas City. Right now, I look at that and I say that should be a spot where you're able to make up a lot of ground in this division. But I know who the Cardinals have been so far this year, and they have not lived up to any expectations, regardless of who the opponent is. This is about the Cardinals more than it is anybody on their on their schedule. If they play the way that they have in their last three games, they're going to win a lot of games over their next 20 because that quality of play is better than what most of these teams coming up are capable of. These are just not very good baseball teams. If the Cardinals play good, clean baseball, they run the bases well, they catch the ball well, it's so simplistic, but it's true, they've got the bats to be able to make this thing go. And I think that by the end of the month, I know it sounds crazy, and we have only seen a three-game sample size of them actually playing this way, really. I think they're going to be right back within this division, and by the start of June, we're going to be talking about that series against Pittsburgh to potentially get within a couple of games of first place in the division. And then suddenly all of us are going to be differently about this team. It's weird. It's crazy that we're here after a three game sample size, but the NL central has been so bad that they opened up the door once again for the Cardinals to be able to walk through it. Yeah. And and the reason it's tough to get a read on the Cardinals is just because of that starting rotation. Their bullpen has been good though. The offense has been inconsistent. They've got talent on offense. I mean, we've talked about it. No, no, no. He's going to get back on track. Nolan Gorman's playing like an all-star there. There are pieces on the offense the reason it's tough to get a read on this team is because they're they're allowing almost five runs a game with their pitching. And I want to start talk about that starting pitching with John Denton. He's the Cardinals insider for MLB.com. You can read his work there. He joins us each and every Wednesday throughout the Cardinals season. I want to get his thoughts on Jack Flaherty's start last night and the weird post-game answers from Jack. We'll talk to John Denton about that coming up next year on 101 ESPN. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We're going up to Chicago where we're happy to be joined by the Cardinals insider for MLB.com. He's John Denton joining us here on the show. John, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? I'm doing great, BK. How are you guys? Uh, doing all right. Three in a row. How about that? Didn't even know it was possible for these St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, John, what's changed? What, what's gone better for the Cardinals over their last three in a way that they had not been able to sustain at any point prior this season? Well, Brendan, it's it's called complete baseball. Uh, they're, they're, they're putting whole games together. You know, nights when they hit, they're getting starting pitching. They're getting solid relief pitching. Uh, last night, it was Chris Stratton. The night before, it was Jordan Hicks and Helsley. Uh, the bullpen is stepping up. You know, that's a bullpen that, that's blown eight saves this season. They've been really, really good the last three nights, actually. Uh, dating all the way back to Sunday when Drew Verhagen really saved them. They had a thin bullpen on Sunday, and he came in and got, you know, got a couple innings. Uh, like I said last night, they were thin last night. They had no Ryan Helsley last night. Uh, Chris Stratton, of all people, came in and pitched really well. And then, you know, mix that with some timely hitting. Uh, solid defense. This franchise is known for playing solid defense. They're finally just putting it all together. And, you know, Ali Marmol said after the game, this is what Cardinal baseball is supposed to look like. You know, good pitching, you know, good defense, good bullpen, and some timely hitting. So they're, they're, they're finally putting it all together. John, in no way, shape, or form did I believe that the Wilson-Contreras controversy was going to be the rally point for this Cardinals <laughs> team. But since he was removed from his position that they signed him to play at, uh, this team has looked completely different. Is Wilson-Contreras controversy, has the Jerry Springer moment turned <laughs> into a rally point for this Cardinals team? I think a little bit. I, I think, yeah, a little bit. You know, they, th- this team really likes him. They like him a lot. They loved the fact the other night that he was getting booed. He threw those hands in there and said, bring it on. You know, give me, give me what you got. Like that, that gets the team going. And Wilson even said, you know, when he, when he did it, he looked back to the dugout and everybody was fired up by it. So, you know, who knows? Baseball's a crazy sport. Uh, I even mentioned this to, to Paul Goldsmith the other night. It's the old chicken or egg thing. It, does chemistry come first and then winning? Or does winning come first and then chemistry? And, and Goldsmith said it was actually the second. You know, when you, when you win, everybody gets along, everybody's happy. A lot of people think it's the other way around. But, you know, in this sport, winning is the ultimate deodorant. It covers up a lot of stink. It's interesting. Me and Goldie agree on that. Alex Ferrario very much does not. You heard not. what he said, though. In this sport, it covers up the stink. Sure. There's some stink in other sports. John Denton is our guest here on 101 ESPN. Always appreciate him hopping on with us. Uh, John, I did want to ask you about Paul DeYoung. I, I didn't see this coming. I did not see this coming. I argued all offseason that the Cardinals are wasting their time. There's no need to do this. Get whatever you can for him. I'm not going to be a phony. That's That was my honest belief. And since he's returned to the big leagues, he's been fantastic, man. He's batting 350. He's got an OPS above 1,000. He had a huge home run last night for them. Uh, John, is this real? What we're watching right now, is this sustainable in your mind? You know, Brendan, I was kind of like you, but I, uh, I I bought in on the changes. Like, Paul really dedicated himself to completely overhauling his swing. Like, if you look at his swing now compared to three years ago, four years ago, it's nothing similar at all the whole high leg kick and, you know, selling out and kind of cheating and and pulling balls. Now he's balanced. He's under control. He's calm at the plate. There's not a lot of moving parts. And, you know, he he did all those changes. He went through the whole offseason making those changes. And then he gets hurt in spring training. And I'm just thinking, all right, that's got to be the final straw. Like, we'll never see Paul again. And, And I'll be dang if he's not here. Like, 
we all know anybody who's dealt with with Paul DeYoung in St. Louis out on the street or in the lockout locker room, he is the nicest guy. He is the most humble, uh, just genuine good guy. So you're pulling for him. And then when he hurt his back in spring training, I was like, wow, that's that's probably the end for Paul. But here he is now. Uh, he's showing off that that new swing. There's something about Wrigley Field. Like his dad lives ten blocks away from Wrigley Field. His college buddy from from Illinois State was at the game last night. He has 14 home runs in his career at Wrigley Field, and six of them have come in the ninth inning, which is just crazy. Yeah, which is just you know he, he loves coming back to this field, and that was a that was a big swing. He put a heck of a swing on that ball last night. So, John, since we're speaking of somebody who's kind of had this this renaissance of a season where you thought it was kind of over and now he's starting to, sh- to produce, Dylan Carlson's been doing that in the last couple of games as well. And really the outfield starting to fall into place with Tyler O'Neill's injury and Jordan Walker being in the minors. Are we seeing an outfield that might be solidified, at least for the temporary of Brendan Donovan, Dylan Carlson, and Lars Newpar? Yeah, you know, I, I was critical of what they did with Jordan Walker. I still don't agree with it. I still don't think it was the right thing. But it's having the desired effect. Like, Dylan Carlson's getting regular playing time now, and he's producing. Uh, Lars Newtbar's getting regular playing time now, and he's producing. And, you know, that, that, that's what they wanted. They wanted to take away the excuses. They wanted to have these four outfielders, uh, along with Alan Bur- Alec Burleson, they wanted them to say, okay, there, there are no more excuses about playing time. Now you've got to produce. And, you know, it's good to see Lars doing that. It's good to see uh, Dylan is playing up to his capabilities. I mean, Dylan Cross is a first-round pick. He's a guy who's loaded with talent. Now that he's getting the playing time, you're getting to see that again. You know, it, you begin to wonder if the odd man out may not be Tyler O'Neill, who, you know, he's still a week away from probably going on a rehab assignment. He hit balls off a tee yesterday. So Tyler is probably two weeks away, and, you know, you just wonder – his spot may be gone by the time he gets back if, if the guys that are in the mix now keep this up. John, the next three starters they're going against are left-handed. How do you think that plays into the lineup decisions over the next few nights? Well, I mean, that means Tommy Edmonds going to be batting leadoff most likely. That means Dylan Carlson's going to be in the lineup. You know, the bad thing is uh, it, it sets Nolan Gorman down likely. The bad news is it sets Brendan Donovan down uh, you know, Brendan Donovan, a couple of plays he's made the last two nights in left field are just unbelievable. That, that kid is, is so good. Is going to be playing in left? <laughs> he can catch yeah. the ball. His, his baseball smarts, baseball IQ are just is just off the charts. He's so good defensively. But like you said, with a left-hander, you know, it, you're going to have right-handed Dylan Carlson in the lineup, and you're going to have right-handed Tommy Edmond in the lineup. And we all know those guys are 100 points better from the right side than they are the left side. So that. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if either one of those don't, don't kind of go on a tear now. Uh, John Din is our guest for just another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. John, I did want to ask you about, like, most everything was positive last night. Cardinals won three straight for the first time all season. They look like they're starting to play good baseball. The bullpen held the lead. Like, everything was pretty good. And then we got to the postgame responses from Jack Flaherty. I don't want to make too much of this, but Jack's velocity was a legitimate question mark last night. I mean, there were times where he was throwing 88, 89 miles per hour. And so, of course, one of the questions that people had for him was, hey, specifically in the third inning, you threw five pitches that were below 90 miles per hour. What was going on there? And Jack shot back at people and was frustrated, and he doesn't want to be asked about the velocity anymore. Uh, John, I 
I think it's fair to ask about it. I think it's fair that the guy has a 6.2 ERA at this point this season, which is fourth worst in all of Major League Baseball among qualified starters. I don't think it's unfair to be asking these questions. What did you make of his response and the defensive nature of it last night? Brendan, I got I got two points right off the bat. We everybody has that friend who just is likes to argue guy, and is a contrarian, and is going to argue with anything. And and Jack is that guy. Like it, you know, love him or hate him, that's just who he is. Like he's going to fire back. He's going to be a contrarian. And if you say the grass is green and the water's blue, he's going to argue with you about that. You know, just who he is, uh, his nature. And two, I thought it was kind of rich to. You know, kind of be talking about the art of pitching when you're coming off the worst outing of your career. You yeah. know, a couple of games ago. So, you know, that was that was bad timing at, at best. Uh, you know, like like I said, that's just who Jack is. Jack's Jack's a contrarian. Jack's gonna go back at people. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you ask him a positive question. There are times where he'll bat it back to you. And you know, Jack's frustrated. He expected to be better than this. Jack's another guy who worked all off season, came in in the best shape of his life. He wants to be the guy that he was in 2019. He wants to be the guy who was 8-1 and one to start 2021, and he's not that guy. I mean, it's a legitimate question. When, when a guy's gone three years with nothing but shoulder problems and you ask him about his velo going 10 miles in range, that's a totally legitimate question. But like I said, you, you could ask Jack about deep dish pizza in Chicago last night, and he would have shot down. You know, he would have, he would have talked bad about it. So yeah. that's just who he is sometimes. Yeah, you just described uh, BK there, John. <laughs> oh, get out of here. <laughs> John, appreciate the time as always, man. Enjoy yourself up in Chicago. Hope you're able to get yourself some deep dish pizza. Uh, we'll talk with you again soon, my man. Sounds great, guys. Take care. Thanks. Absolutely. Same to you. That's Sean Denton joining us here on 101 ESPN. Always appreciate his time. Man, I, I'm so glad John Denton mentioned the fact that it's it's rich that Jack was talking about the art of pitching after some of the performances we've seen out of him. Dude, he has the same walk rate right now as John Gant had Whoa. at this point in the season in 2021. You guys remember John Gant, the guy that Alex was supporting. <laughs> and, and at least we were, got out of those innings without a lot of runs on him, though. And the guy, I, maybe we can try to find this. We'll try to find this for the 12 o'clock hour. I remember John Mosellock saying publicly, what we're seeing right now from John Gant is completely unsustainable. He flat out said he's walking a tightrope, and right now the results are going his direction. Eventually, they will not. Hey, Jack, that's you. You're, you're walking that tightrope right now. You're walking guys at a 15% clip. There's no starter in Major League Baseball that has thrown a qualified number of innings that has a higher walk rate than Jack Flaherty. Yeah, dude, when you have to drop your velo down to 88 and 89 miles per hour five times in an inning because you have no command over your fastball, and oh, by the way, when you threw your fastball in that inning, it got shellacked, you're going to be asked about it. That's a fair question to ask. We'll talk more about that coming up in the 12 o'clock hour. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Comfort Service text line. I'm getting emotional over here. Questions and answers coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers. Brought to you by Insperity. To HR issues, have you boxed in? Expand your possibilities at Insperity.com. Alex 
Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. So nice. You want to say it twice. All right. From the 314. Guys, who do you think is the bigger head case for their respective team? Flaherty or Bennington? Flaherty. So at least... I, I know you're going to say at least he performs, well, but he his regular perform. season numbers would d- disagree with yeah, that. They are okay. remarkably similar. Remarkably yeah. Don't, similar. Let's not get into this fight because I will fight. He's got a cup. Yeah. Okay. Well, at least he actually performs in the playoffs. It's not our fault we're not there that long. Uh, the other reason, and I know people have a lot of issues with Jordan Bennington, uh, the blowups that Jack Flaherty has post game, it's been a rare case that I hear Jordan Bennington have those blowups. I I think I would probably take Flaherty as a bigger head case because he is more in the media. Bennington, you see it on the ice, and then he doesn't fire back at the media. But, but man, they are they are very similar. Uh, I so I guess I would lean towards Jack Flaherty because last night there was no need for his you know fiery responses. I've never heard Jordan Bennington look at a reporter and say, "Well, you don't know about goaltending." No, I I I think that the. The guy that has more outbursts on the field or on the ice is Jordan Bennington. Um, but the guy that I think is more frustrating when you hear them speak publicly is Jack Flaherty. So it's almost two different answers, but I'll go with Jack Flaherty because as much as we do get frustrated with Jordan Bennington's performances, his performances this year are like if Jack Flaherty was getting super unlucky with a lot of guys making errors behind him. That's not happening. His issues are his own. They're they're self-made. It'd be like if Jordan, like Jack Flaherty's issues right now would be as if Jordan Bennington was giving up a ton of rebound opportunities in front of him. That's not what's happening. It's backdoor tap-ins. And are there times where I think that Jordan Bennington should or could be better? Yeah, absolutely. But he's not the biggest issue with the team. When Jack Flaherty is out there pitching right now, he is the biggest issue for the St. Louis Cardinals didn't necessarily feel that way about Jordan Bennington this year really yet just about any time so I, I think the answer is is Jack Flaherty uh, 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line uh, for questions and answers uh, guys when you look at what the St. Louis Cardinals are right now and you go up against left-handed pitching would you be starting Juan Yepes in left field I, I think it all comes down to one simple question. Do you trust Nolan Gorman to face a lefty? If you do, Nolan Gorman should be starting at second base, and you probably keep the same exact lineup, honestly, as you've had over recent days, but with Tommy Edmond at shortstop instead of Paul Dion. Yeah, see, That's I'm, the one flip. And I'm in the minority probably with a Nolan Gorman thing. Like, I know his numbers don't look great against lefties, but I would be giving him reps. He basically hasn't had opportunities. Yeah, I would uh, be giving him reps at that. He has seven at-bats this year against left-handed pitching. And because Brendan Donovan really doesn't have splits, his defense is significantly better than Juan Yepes, so I would throw the same lineup out there with the exception of Tommy Edmond at shortstop. I think the question is Gorman versus Yepes. And I would go Yepes. I, I think I would too, but now you've got to take into account the defense. But now, I, when I say that, I would have Donovan starting in left. I, I don't know why they have so this. How, so you would have you Paul DeYoung play at shortstop? Second, you'd have DeYoung at short. And you'd have... And you'd have Yepes as the DH. It, this would, this so would, you wouldn't have Contreras in the lineup? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, then, sorry. Yeah, I guess Contreras would be the DH. Boy, this, so where's stupid, this stupid team. It, so it's hard. I, the, I, would, I would be playing Donovan. Right in Wrigley and in Boston, I, I think you have to look at the ballpark. How tough is the ballpark to play defense in? That's fair. If it's not tough, like uh, Bush Stadium, for example, 
I think it's okay to throw Yepes out there. Wrigley Field, where the wind is howling, do I really want Juan Yepes in left field? And, like, I'm not taking a shot at Yepes, but no, I don't. When they're in Boston with the Green Monster, where they're going to see two lefties really in that series, point. I don't want to see Juan Yepes. Now, Donovan's not a gold glover in the outfield, but he's better than Juan Yepes. He's, like right he's at least average. So I think it comes down to the ballpark. So tonight I would start Donovan in left. Yepes would be coming off the bench, and you would have Gorman coming off the bench. Contreras as your D8. See, I, I just think Nolan Gorman, I mean, look, I understand it's all been against righties, but he's earned the benefit of the doubt. Like, give the guy reps in, against lefties. And if he's bad, then okay, you learn your lesson. But give the guy reps at left, because at some point, you'd like to use Nolan Gorman every single day. I... I, I, t- I like that idea. I think it's more about Donovan there, though, than, than Gorman, honestly. Like, Gorman, as much as we complain about the stuff about him not getting opportunities against left-handed pitching, and it's real. Like, I think he should be. He's had 110 at-bats so far this year. He, he's, he's getting regular playing time. He's essentially an everyday player for the Cardinals. Um, and that's with him mostly being your designated hitter this season, where they are getting opportunities for Arenado and Goldie, and now, obviously, Contreras is your primary DH. I think he's going to get even more opportunities moving forward as a mostly everyday second baseman for you. The reason why I say this is kind of about Donovan is because I think there's a non-zero chance that Brendan Donovan just becomes your starting everyday left fielder. Agreed. Like Tyler O'Neill, I don't think he should factor into this in a significant way. I think he's your fourth outfielder when yep. he returns. When you he send down Alec Burleson and Tyler O'Neill. I'm sorry, dude, but you didn't earn the opportunity. Brendan Donovan, I don't see a significant decrease in terms of the performance in left field defensively right now. And offensively, I trust his at-bats more than I trusted Tyler O'Neill. I know that the end results aren't all that different, but I trust him more. And, and I think now's the time to actively start shopping Tyler O'Neill. Agreed. Uh, yeah. Because if you're going to send Burleson down, go get reps for Burleson, go get reps for Jordan Walker, as you've been doing. And when one or both of those guys are ready, Tyler O'Neill shouldn't be on this team. Unless he's willing to accept the role. If Tyler O'Neill accepts the role as your fourth outfielder, man, he's a really nice fourth outfielder to have. Defensively, he can run as a pinch hitter for you if you need him to. And as a late inning pinch hitter, it's a pretty good bat to have. If you're going up against a tough lefty late into a game and you want to bring him in for one of your two or yeah, one of your two left fielder or left-handed hitters in the outfield, you can make that work. Or if you want to bring him in for Nolan Gorman, you can make that work and then you slide Brendan Donovan to second. He's a nice piece to have. He just has to accept that role, and that's where I don't I don't know. Yeah, and, and I, I think Donovan's going to be that guy because he does not have splits against lefties. Like, I'm looking at his career splits. His average is basically the same. He gets on base at a higher clip against lefties, but he doesn't have power against them. But you're not expecting that from Brendan Donovan, really. The reason I don't have an issue with Nolan Gorman, if you're going to pull him from the lineup against lefties, he's, he has struggled against lefties since double-A. So, like, I, like in double-A and, and triple-A in 2021, 202 average and a 558 OPS. Like, I have no issues with him saying, you know what, we're not even going to experiment with Gorman against lefties. If he struggled in the minors, he's going to struggle here at the major leagues. You're getting plenty of at-bats with right-handed pitchers. And exactly, you get DeYoung more ABs. All right, coming up next, we talked a little bit about this with John Denton. Jack Flaherty's post-game availability last night, I thought was every bit as frustrating as a fan as anything you heard over the weekend from the Cardinals about Wilson Contreras. I'll explain why coming up next here on 101 ESPN. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. 
BlueNile.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Madrigal is a better fastball hitter than he is breaking ball. You can still throw your heater to him. Just keep it down. In the air toward left. Donovan can't get that. That splits the gap. That's going to roll to the warning track. And Madrigal with another two-strike hit leads off the third with a Cubs double. Trying to go down and away with this fastball. Misses again to Madrigal. It ends up down and in right there in his swing. We're seeing him right now, too. 88, 89 mile an hour. I'd like to see a little uptick in that velocity. Wonder you know, if he's just trying to feel for his location right now. In the air right. Newt on the run. Into the well. Looks up into the Ivy. And he can't get it. A two-run homer for Dansby Swanson. To your point earlier, Jack's got a mid-90s fastball. He's throwing the ball 90 miles an hour. Yeah, I don't know if he's trying to take some off for location or just not feeling the velo. That went better as far as the velo goes, but to your point about command, maybe that's it. Take a little off to have better command. Which is fine. If you're putting the ball where you want to, I don't care what the velocity is. Like, it doesn't matter. If, you're, if you are moving the ball around and you're setting hitters up, I don't care if it's coming in at 90 or 95. Three walks for Flaherty in two and a third innings. It's what it sounded like on last night on Bally Sports Midwest. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Brad Thompson, a former major league pitcher. And Chip Carey talking about the velocity questions for Jack Flaherty, specifically in the third inning. Guys, I went back through and looked at every pitch that Jack Flaherty threw last night. He threw five pitches at 90 miles per hour or below in that third inning yesterday. He had two such pitches in his previous six starts combined. So he had more 90 miles per hour or below pitches, fastball specifically, in that third inning, twice as many, than he did in his previous six starts. The last time that he threw more than five sub-90 mile an hour fastballs in a game was the first start that he made this year against Toronto. You guys remember that one. We were all questioning the velocity after that game. But there was a lot of caveats there. It was freezing cold outside. It was a weird game overall. He had zero command whatsoever. I can't find a single other game in his entire career in which he threw out more than five fastballs at less than 90 miles per hour. So he threw as many last night as he has in any other game of his major league career at or below 90 miles per hour. That is the backdrop that I think is really important context to what he was asked about yesterday in the post game, in which, of course, as you would expect, the media asked Jack Flaherty about his fastball and his velocity. The next time somebody wants to mention velocity in my fastball, just I'm not going to answer another question about like I'm going to play with the velocity of my fastball based on what the game calls for. So I, I can get outs at 90, I can get outs at 95. Like it's like I'm going to play with it. I've always played with it. I've, I've thrown freaking fastballs at 87 before in games when I've been at my best. Like I'm not answering questions on, oh, oh no, no, no. I'm, I'm just I'm just saying because y'all want to make a big deal out of it and I'm tired of it. Like I'm not. It's so ridiculous. Like, it's not ridiculous at all. In fact, it's a totally valid question. Yesterday when he threw his fastball in that third inning specifically at above 93 miles per hour, he had no feel for it, no command. When he threw it below 90 miles per hour, he still at times had no feel for it. Ball, 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 foul, home run, double, foul, ball. 
His fastball stunk yesterday. Derek said in an article, too, that there was one at bat, and I forget which, which one it was, but he basically went four straight sliders. Yeah, because he had no feel for that fastball. It, it's very clear what was going on there. He didn't have a feel for his fastball, which is fine. But Jack needs to understand that the media has a job to do there, too. The media's job is to ask the question and for Jack to explain what was going on. Was it something mechanical? Was it something physically? Obviously, the answer to that question is no. But you have to ask about that. If you see something that you had not seen previously with the player and as I just went through, there's no history whatsoever. Jack can say all he wants to. Oh, I play with my velocity. Not like he did yesterday in the third inning. You have never done that before other than the game where you got lit up against Toronto, where you had zero command of your fastball whatsoever. So it continued from there. I thought this part was even worse than the first part. Here's his back and forth. It's a little tough to hear, but this is the audio that we've got, unfortunately. It's courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. A back and forth between Derek Gould, who I think is one of the best baseball reporters in the country, and Jack Flaherty on Jack's fastball velocity. We don't know that unless we ask Jack. We don't know. Well, then you don't understand pitching, and that's okay. Can I say that again? I'm sorry? I'm sorry. You said I don't understand pitching. That's the, that's the way that no, it's... We, we just don't feel like we should guess. We want your answer so we can quote you and give it to the fan. Okay, Derek. What are you Listen, if Jack wants to get upset about the questions, that's his prerogative. The questions are completely valid. And when you're pitching the way that Jack Flaherty is, you invite the questions and you invite the criticism upon yourself. If Jack's mad at himself for his performance yesterday and for his performance this season, it's pretty reasonable. There are 111 starters in Major League Baseball, Alex, that have thrown at least 30 innings this year. Jack is among those. He's 99th of the 111 starters in ERA. This is not some advanced number. BK. No, ERA. How often are you allowing runs on average? He's 108th out of those 111 starters in walk rate. Bottom four in all of Major League Baseball. He's 103rd in barrel rate. There's a little bit more of an advanced statistic, but it shows, hey, they're squaring him up a whole hell of a lot because he's not throwing good stuff right now. And if you want to get even further into the advanced numbers, 106th out of 111 Major League starters that have thrown at least 30 innings and wins above replacement, which means... He has been one of the worst starters in all of Major League Baseball this year. So, Jack, you can get upset at people asking questions about your stuff right now. If you're pitching, the results aren't good enough. So maybe there is real questions to be asked here. Maybe the velocity is a bit of an issue because if you look across Major League Baseball, not just with Jack, when you throw a 94 plus, the results tend to get better. Right now, Jack is not able to throw 94 plus as often as he would like because his command isn't there. So what we saw last night from Jack in the game, eh, underwhelming. What we saw from Jack after the game, it's as disappointing as I've been with Jack in terms of what we've seen from him in a post-game setting uh, in as long as I can remember since covering this team, which dates back to basically the entirety of Jack Flaherty's career. It's infuriating because I'm in the same spot as you. I mean, I've been covering this team since Jack Flaherty came up in the big leagues. And like this has been the issue since the Toronto Blue Jays start for him. And the the infuriating part for me is he's put himself in the spotlight with all of this mm-hmm. because it started with Jack not wanting to talk about the velocity. And I think this was like you mentioned after the Toronto Blue Jays series, he got frustrated with that. Then he gets lit up and 
questions the calls coming from the catcher. And then the Wilson Contreras thing happened. So you're pointing at Jack Flaherty there. And now we get to this part where you're basically telling people to not be able to do their job because I don't want to answer it because it's frustrating. Where it's it's obvious it's frustrating to you to answer it, Jack, because it's bothering you somewhat. And that's where the questions come into play. And the part for me where it just it just it went past the part of frustration and just to honestly a little embarrassing if you're Jack Flaherty is to respond to a reporter and say, well, you don't understand pitching because right there it's a cop out. You kind of hear how he said it, too. It started to fade away when he said it. It's like, well, you just don't understand pitching. He's being defensive. This is the defense mechanism. Like we, we all have something in our lives that we do this with. Right. Like. Alex, maybe your wife, you would never do this, of course. Your wife would never do this. But for me, like when my wife says something, sometimes I I respond poorly, right? Because you get defensive because you know you messed up. And there's nothing that you can say that's going to make it any better. And so you you respond poorly. And then like five minutes later, you're like, crap, I, I shouldn't have said that, right? right? I, I don't, Maybe Jack Flaherty did that in this spot. Maybe 10 minutes later, he went back and thought to himself, God, I... I responded poorly in the moment. I'm mad at myself more than I'm mad at anybody else, and I'm lashing out in all directions. But he's done this a lot in 100%. the past, and it's never and gotten— And he specifically th- said—sorry to cut you off there, Alex— he said earlier this year he's trying not to do this. He made it a public decree of, hey, I'm really trying to work on making sure to channel my anger in the right way. Last night, he let it get to him. You saw it on the mound, and then it leaked out once again in the postgame. Another guy that was like this, and I texted you guys last night with this way, Jaime Garcia was this way too. And this was when all of the injuries kept popping up with him where I don't remember what year it was, but he was basically starting, and then he would be out for a month and come back and then out for another couple months. And I remember because I was in those scrums postgame, he would get so infuriated with the media asking questions about how he's feeling and how the pitches are and why some of the things aren't looking right. And he would just kind of light up the reporters. And look, I'm not sitting here defending reporters here, but when they're trying to get their job done and just asking simple questions like Derek mentioned to where he can relay it back to the fans, the fact that you're getting frustrated about it and it got to that point, it just does not look good. And then back it all up to where this this isn't a one-off. Like this isn't where this was the game that it was bad for him and he's been pushing ever since. Again, you put yourself in the spotlight going all the way back to the Wilson Contreras thing where you're pointing to the catcher making the wrong decisions and they pull that guy out of it because maybe he's the problem. No, the problem is still continuing from the go ahead. I was going to say the, the thing for me is when you when you look at can I, I can understand where it can be frustrating to answer the same question, but it's a legitimate question when your velo is that far down because it, it's one of two things. It is either you're pulling back to try and get a feel for it or it is you are injured. And a guy that is coming off of two major injury prone years it's a question that has to be asked. Hell, Ollie answered that question yep. before they even went to Jack Flaherty, and Ollie had the same concerns because Ollie said post game, "Yeah, we thought there might be something wrong. We talked to him. He said he was fine." Okay, so then it's clear. Asked and answered. It's clear what the it's clear what the issue was. He had no command of it. He just needed to take some off to try and get back into the rhythm, and that's totally fine. But that's what you say post game. If you want to look at somebody that has handled their situation perfectly, it's in the same locker room and it's the same situation. Look at Steven Matz. Do you think Steven Matz is happy by the way he's pitching? There's been talk about him being moved to the bullpen for the last two and a half weeks, and he's still got two more years under contract. But he hasn't lashed out at the media saying, why are you asking me these questions? He said honestly, up front to the media, I just don't have my curveball right now. And and that's my problem. I don't have my curveball. That's all Jack has to say is I'm searching for it, and I'm I'm looking for my fastball right now. Because I do believe if he gets his fastball, he's going to be a good pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals this year. Will he be an ace? I don't know. And and maybe there's 
unfair pressure getting to Jack Flaherty based on the expectations that were put upon him of basically being the from guy himself. from himself, but also from the front office, but from us from as him. fans. I I understand, <laughs> but I. I think when you look at Jack Flaherty, I, I understand where he's coming from with frustration, but there's still no need to lash no. out at the media no, like Jack. Just answer the question and yeah. move on. I, Say I, yes I'm, or no. I'm not giving him an out. I actually disagree I'm not giving out. I understand the frustration because there are. So, he is the guy that was deemed the savior for the St. Louis Cardinals this year. From take himself. Them to the next step. He that was from that the front up, office, no, too. He took it upon himself. When you carry yourself the way that Jack Flaherty does, some of it deserved – you, we can argue on that either way, but I'm not interested in having that discussion, honestly. When you carry yourself the way that Jack Flaherty does, you are going to place certain expectations upon yourself. When you tweet out, it's a silly little thing, but it matters. When you tweet out the video that he did at the beginning of the season of people being critical of him and then him doing the exactly. Joker thing, like all of this stuff adds up. And when he says, don't ask me about me being hurt anymore, all right, then we will criticize you and we will judge you accordingly. You say you're fully healthy. Well, if this is what a fully healthy version of Jack Flaherty looks like, well, you're a bottom 10 starter in Major League Baseball. I don't believe Jack Flaherty at his best is a bottom 10 starter in all of Major League Baseball. I I just refuse to believe that. And so either... He's still working through some things, which would be totally reasonable. He's basically spent the last two years hurt or he's lashing out because this is who he is at this point in his career. I I also want to respond to this from the 314. Alex and BK, you are so full of it. I've never done a midday show or done radio a day in my life. But if I were to criticize you on what you're doing and how you're doing your job and say that your show is boring to me and you all don't know how to do radio... How do you think that I would have the right to say that if I've never done radio before? Stop sitting up here like you all are so damn perfect. First of all, I am far from perfect. (laughs) And we talk about that every day on the show. That's kind of the secret sauce of the show. Second of all, we get critiqued all the time. Literally every minute from 11 to 2. That is part of the job, guys. We understand that you all will be critical of what we're talking about. Sometimes you guys don't like what we talk about. Sometimes you completely disagree with what you're talking about. Sometimes you flat out say to us, you shouldn't be talking about this and you should instead be talking about X, Y, or Z. That's fine. Everybody does shows a different way. And the morning show does a show of that's very different than what we do here in middays. doesn't make one right or one wrong. It just makes them very different ways to operate as shows. Jack Flaherty operates in a way that is different than Miles Michaelis or Steven Matz. There's nothing wrong with that inherently. However, and I would say the same thing is true in some ways for Ollie Marmel, because of how open and honest Ollie is, it makes his job a little bit more difficult. It does bring upon a little criticism for him when things are going poorly. When you're going to approach the media the way that Jack Flaherty does, and you're going to make comments the way that Jack Flaherty does and gets defensive that way, This is the likely response from fans, from media, from everybody, because it it brings upon you more criticism. It makes your job more difficult. The answer to the question from Derek Gould or from Jim Hayes is super easy last night. Hey, I'm trying to find some things with my fastball right now. I know you guys have asked about this all season long. I'm going to tell you right now, this is something that I'm going to continue doing. I'm going to work between 88 and 95. That's my range for my fastball right now. Sometimes I don't have a great feel for it. So if you see it going down a little bit, that's probably what it is. I'm just going to tell you that right now. So that way in the future, you don't have to ask about it. Boom. Asked and answered. Move on. That's it. But he's not willing to do that because he wants to be defensive. And then he gets all of these walls put up 
and he has to lash out against somebody else because it's their fault that he's struggling right now. Real quick, also to that texter's point, you're the consumer. So your question is valid, even if you've never hosted a radio show, because you're listening to this, which is what the media is trying to accomplish. They're trying to get answers from all of the fans that are questioning why Jack Flaherty is struggling. And you don't think Nolan Arenado is pissed off right now because he's having like his worst career start to a season in Major League Baseball? But if you heard Nolan Arenado get upset with anybody who's questioning why he's struggling, is the timing off? Are you hurt? No, he said, I'm just bad right now and I need to be better. That's the way to approach it. There have been tons of individuals who have been bad in their careers as an athlete. But because you're in the spotlight like this, you're going to have to answer those questions. And you answer the questions like you just mentioned and you move on. Because that's the way to do it, rather than point fingers back at them and say, well, you just don't understand anything about this. That's not the proper way to go about this, man. If you're struggling, we need answers for people that are wanting to know. Yeah, And that's what I was trying to get on earlier. Is, is it fair for him to be frustrated? Absolutely. Is it fair for him to lash out the media? No, he, he should not lash out the way he did. I, I can understand why he's frustrated because he had such high expectations for himself, we put high expectations on him, but he can't come out there and just say, well, you don't know what you're talking about because you don't know pitching. It, look, I have never pitched in the big leagues. The highest level I pitched at was middle school baseball. What he's doing is not pitching right now. It's just not. That's not the art of pitching. He is struggling, and I think it's just the command of his fastball. That's his biggest issue. That's all he has to say last night post game. And if you have further questions about it, maybe you don't want to dive all the way into the weeds with it. Maybe you want to take a day to uh, sure. kind of calm yourself down. And then, you know what, maybe today reporters go into the locker room before the game. He'll say, you know what, sorry, I was a little frustrated last night. What's your question? I'll answer it for you today. And maybe he does that today. We'll see. But I, I understand his frustration. He should not lash out the way he did last night. Somebody says on the text line, it sounds like you guys just don't know pitching. Hey, you should see me pitching softball. Man, no, I got a spin rate on that one. The thing that's funny about all of this, like, yeah, I, I, I can't pitch for crap. I, I would get my... Oh, I would... My nipples would be on fire. Whoa! If, if I was out here trying to pitch in the big leagues. It'd be, a pl- it would be atrocious. But I know what good pitching looks like. I've seen that. I've seen Jack throw really well. I've seen Jack pitch really well. That's why the questions are happening, because we've seen you dominate. And that's, this isn't it. This is not what it looks like when Jack is right. And so it it is a fair question. He responded really poorly in the moment. It's not the end of the world. And if Jack goes out there and in his next six starts is awesome, man, we'll all move past this and no harm, no harm, no foul. But I do think this is more a symptom than the root cause. I think Jack's really frustrated right now. I think he knows that his stuff is not where it needs to be. I think he knows that he's bottom 10 in Major League Baseball in ERA this season. And until that gets fixed, Tanner, you mentioned this before the show today, the Cardinals just can't be the team that they wanted to be because he was the one guy, the one possible answer to their questions as an ace. And it has not worked out. In fact, it's been the opposite where right now, it's more fair to ask if he should be a part of the rotation than it is to ask if he's going to start a game one of a postseason series. That was the last thing any of us were hoping for from him or from the Cardinals. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for more likely to happen here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's More Likely to Happen. Brought to you by Train Heating and Cooling. Visit traininfo.com. It's hard to stop a train.
alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We will tell you which one is more likely. Let's start out with this one, Alex. More likely to happen. Paul DeYoung is the starting shortstop for the Cardinals in game one of a playoff series, or Jack Flaherty is starting game one of that playoff game. This is assuming, of course, that the Cardinals get to the playoffs, as they will because they're winning the NL Central this year. Uh, more likely Paul DeYoung starting shortstop. I. Who's it, starting on the mound for you? Montgomery or Michaelis. Guys who actually have <laughs> sure, I when they've it. been called upon. It's going to be one of those two guys. I got to be honest with you. Uh, I don't know if Jack Flaherty is pitching in the rotation oh, come I, playoff time. I thought you were going to say, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know the art of pitching. <laughs> well, go, oh. I don't know that either, so those both work. But yeah, I would say Paul DeYoung. Man. I've been getting tagged a lot on Twitter saying it's my fault Jack's not back. Um, I think it is. I will say more. Probably one of those terrible T-bone threes I'm, you did. Look, I, I'm still going to believe in Jack Flaherty. I, I'm going to say more likely Jack figures it out. I, I just think it's his fastball. I think the moment he gets the fastball location down, and, and I don't think he suddenly forgot how to locate a fastball. I think it's either his, I'm going to guess. I think something's off with the release point. I think I looked up yesterday. I think his release point is down from where it had been in the past. I, I think if he just finds command of the fastball, I think it's going to set everything else up for him. And I think he can get back to being more like himself. And as great as Paul DeYoung has been, I, I'm sorry, the pass for Jack Flaherty when healthy is success. I'm going to bank on he's going to get back to that because he's healthy, apparently. Paul DeYoung, when I look back on his stuff, like when he's healthy in the last two, three years, he's not been that good at the plate. So I, I'm just assuming he's going to cool off. And I hope he doesn't because hell, he's playing like an all-star right now. But I, I'm just going to trust that Jack Flair is going to get it figured out and is going to be a, be the guy that the Cardinals were hoping for early in the year. I think it's more likely that we end up seeing None Paul, of the above. De- oh. Paul DeYoung as the starting shortstop going into the postseason. I don't think either of these things is going to happen, but I would say it's much more likely um, that it ends up being Paul DeYoung as your starting shortstop. Alex, what do you have for more likely to happen? More likely to happen. Let's stick with the Cardinals, boys. The Cardinals win a playoff series this year. What's or- the other option? <laughs> One of John Mosaloc slash Ali Marmal are fired at the end of the year. Win a playoff series. Man, you set me up. For, you set me up I, there. I think this team is winning the division, man. I think that the division is this, still going into the wild card and losing in the first round of the totally, wild card. Totally possible. Um, but like, if this team was in the AL East, they'd be buried. It'd be over. They, we are not talking about the postseason whatsoever. But uh, but it's I said already them, done. But I said them win a playoff series. I know. But and you think they're going to win a playoff series? I, I think one of those the two first round of the playoffs is so like last year, the Phillies, I don't think we're a better team than the Cardinals. I don't think the Phillies were the best team in the national league. Now I know some will argue, but they went to the world series, <laughs> the dude. That, that means they're better. No, not, not necessarily the best in the national. The league. Braves were hurt. They had completely crumbled at that point. They were a better team all year than the Phillies. And then in the postseason, one team got hot. The other team got hurt. And the team that got hot advanced. I think that the Cardinals were a better team than the Phillies. They ran into a terrible game one where everything that could go wrong in an inning did. And then game two, they didn't hit. That happens sometimes. That happens in an individual series during the regular season. So could the Cardinals beat a team that's better than them? Absolutely. So I'll go with they're more likely to end up winning that playoff series. Hey, man, no need a reason to yell at me. I'm just asking the question here. Sorry, my tone again. Jesus. You and Jack, I have a Jack have problem. similar yeah, problems. You and Jack need to like have a conversation with each other, and then you look at him and say, Fair. "You don't understand talk radio," and he says, "You don't understand pitching." I, say, I think I think there'd be too so much yelling just, in that conversation. Nah, I wasn't joking when John Denton described him. It, it's BK. Um, 
I feel like we're agreeing here. Yeah. Are we? We are. I don't know. <laughs> um, I would say more likely they would win a playoff series, even though I'm kind of doubtful of that. But I, I just can't see a scenario in which, I mean, I could see a scenario maybe where Marmol got let go, but I, I don't think that's going to happen because I think they're going to turn this around. And, like, I, I, I can't even imagine. I think the Cardinals have to go 0-162 before Mo would lose his job. So <laughs> I, I don't think that scenario is going to happen. And even in that sense, I don't think he would lose his job. Alex? I'm actually going to say it's more likely that one of those two are gone at the end of the season because I don't believe they're going to make the playoffs. I think you're going to see this season as one of those where you miss out on a couple of games. Somebody said that BK is nothing like that guy. Thank you, Texter. Oh, Kara, thanks for texting. And appreciate <laughs> you listening. Uh, T-Bone, what do you have for more likely to happen? I want to stick on the playoff one here. More likely to happen. Tyler O'Neill or Juan Yepes is on the playoff Ooh. roster. Playoff roster? Playoff roster. Well, there won't be the playoff, so none of the above. All right. And if you're like Alex, the post-trade deadline <laughs> roster. Oh, Juan Yepes. <laughs> I think it is much more likely. I, I think Tyler O'Neill is getting traded this year. I don't know when. I think that for now, he's going to be your fourth yeah. outfielder. But I think that Tyler O'Neill is going to be traded. I'm in the same year. spot. I don't think Tyler O'Neill is on this team post-trade deadline. I think eventually Jordan Walker is back. Yeah. That spot that we're talking about right now that will be taken by Tyler O'Neill whenever he returns where Alec Burleson gets sent down and you bring back Tyler O'Neill. I think that's going to be Jordan Walker's spot. I don't think they've given up on him. I think that some of the analysis around that has been off. I don't think they've given up on him, but I don't know if they'd bring him up here to be a fourth outfielder. No, he'll start against left-handed pitching no, for sure. Brandon, and he'll start a decent amount against righties. And I well. think Brendan Donovan, in that sense, would become the utility guy for them yeah. when yeah. Jordan Walker's back. Yeah, I, I think it is more likely to be Juan Yepes in, in the scenario that I painted just because I, I think the Cardinals have shown their frustration and are kind of done with Tyler O'Neill. And, and like he just it's clear he's not going to get back to 29 or what was it yeah 29 no 2021 form in the second half where he played as an MVP does it change if I said Yepes or Burleson yeah because yeah. I don't I don't think they're trading Burleson I think they like the I, they like having that left-handed bat especially as a fourth outfielder I think Burleson has a future here I think he's I think he's a future gone. DH uh, maybe or maybe just like a he can play first base for you. He can play corner outfield for you. He can be DH. He can be a bench bat for you. I, I think Burleson has a has a role in St. Louis. So I think he's going to be around and he's cheap. Like he, he's got options. He's it allows you to have some flexibility. The Cardinals on your roster. love cheap. I don't know that Tyler O'Neill has any of what I just mentioned. Coming up next, Alex brought up a really interesting point earlier today. The Blues had two potential offseason plans. And Monday night, it revealed which path they're going to have to take. What does that mean for Doug Armstrong? What does it mean for Blues fans as we approach this offseason? We'll talk about it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. In my mind, you're probably looking at a, a lesser tier guy like we saw with uh, Kapanen coming in, like we saw with Verana coming in. I don't think that they're looking, uh, you, you know, to bring in a type of guy that, that's going to have a big salary and be kind of a foundation type player. I, I think you're looking for uh, a guy who's going to come in and accent what they're doing right now. 
Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That was Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic joining us yesterday here on the show. Alex, he was talking about what the Blues' plans are going to be for this offseason. And we've brought up a lot the possibility of them going out and acquiring. Maybe it's an RFA. Maybe it's a guy that is uh, on a two- or three-year deal in that 26- to 28-year-old range making, you know, three, four million bucks a year. Not big-time money, but somebody that can come in and help you either as a third-line center or as a winger, maybe even in your top six. It feels like that is very possible, and one of the reasons why is because they didn't win the lottery on Monday night. Now, that may sound strange to some fans, but the reason why I say that is because of what Doug Armstrong told Jeremy Rutherford. He said when he was talking to Army, Army mentioned, if you have the number one or number two overall pick, you expect that player to be a difference maker now. Overnight, you have immediately added uh, one of Fantilli or Bedard, and those guys can be third-line players for you next year. With somebody that they're going to select at number 10 overall, they're not expecting real results for 36 months from that player. That's not my words. That's Doug Armstrong's words. So you're not even expecting to think about this guy this year or next. Then year three, you maybe are able to get that guy into your lineup on a regular basis. So when you look towards this offseason, Alex, how did Monday night not winning the lottery and the draft picks that the Blues now have available to them, how does that influence your approach to the offseason to me it influences it more in the sense of you go after a trade for a player who can impact you this upcoming season as the rfa and we've talked a lot about this we've mentioned isolated a couple of guys ross colton alexis lafreniere there's more that we've discussed that we will continue to discuss that doug armstrong has basically stated He's targeting from other teams. And in the piece by JR, which was an awesome, awesome one on Doug Armstrong's conversation, Doug basically said, I'm just giving the grace period of these teams that have been eliminated the time before we call them to start negotiating. And the Blues need to find out what these picks are going to be. If Toronto loses tonight, well, you got the 23rd overall pick right now in the draft, which helps. But if you would have won the first or second or even the third overall pick, you're not making that trade for the RFA because the player that you're drafting in that spot He's playing on your third line center this upcoming season. And you're not trying to go after somebody. And Doug even mentioned it. Then you're talking about drafting somebody at 23 and 24 or wherever those late picks are to just add depth to your system because you've targeted the guy. Now drafting at 10th. And I I do believe if you select the correct player, he could be impacting your team by the end of this upcoming season or next season. Wyatt Johnson is the one I keep bringing up with the Dallas Stars. But to me... The way that Monday went down even solidifies more that the Blues are going to be making some type of trade between now and June 28th to get a player who's going to be helping their team compete this season, which then takes me to believe the Blues are going to go with the best available player, which could mean trading up for somebody that's not going to impact you for two or three years. So let's go down that path. I've mentioned him a number of times, but when you look at what's going to be available to them at 10, but really more importantly, who could potentially slide to like five or six in the draft? The Blues have three first-round picks, and if you end up seeing Toronto get booted out of the playoffs in the second round and Dallas ends up losing in the second round, those are nice picks to have, especially for a potential trade-up. Alex, we've talked a lot about one specific player you are now seemingly on board with my plan to trade up potentially. Yeah, Matvey Mikoff, the Russian kid that's uh, locked into his contract for the next couple of seasons with the KHL. So essentially three years from now is when he would be available to join the St. Louis Blues. And I know some people have said, like, well, can't you buy out the contract? It's what other guys do. You could, but there's a lot more 
situations that go into this. If you're selecting this Mikoff, you're basically stating we're not going to see him for at least two years. And everything I've gone through, a couple of mock drafts that have popped up, there are pretty much, I would say, 90 to 95% of the mock drafts I've read have this Russian player dropping down to sixth overall to the Arizona Coyotes because everybody seems to believe one through five isn't going to take a chance on somebody who's three years away from even being a part of your team. If you know that you're selecting 10th and this guy, you're not planning on him impacting your team for three years. If this kid is sitting there at sixth, I'm trading up to get that piece because in three years, I'm expecting to have better careers out of Thomas and Cairo and the core pieces that I have in place. Dean, Bolduc, Snuggerud, those guys are going to be ready to compete at the NHL level. And now you're telling me I could bring over somebody who is viewed as one of the best prospects in this draft class? Yeah, I'm going to pounce on that right now. An ideal offseason is if this kid drops to six and the Blues are able to acquire a Ross Colton or a Lafreniere to help them compete now, then by the time that this kid comes over from Russia, if you are able to trade up and select him, if other teams pass on him, your team's going to be in Stanley Cup contention and in a window. And that's three years talking about that. That's a massive retool for Doug Armstrong. Yeah, I... We, we saw somebody on the text line that said, guys, this is a massive gamble potentially for the Blues. Kind of. Kind of it is. Um, I, I think that the thing that changed my perspective on this was hearing and seeing Doug Armstrong talking about how long any player they take at number 10 overall will require before they become a real contributor for the team. And as I went back and did some of my own research on this, Alex, I found the same stuff where... Some of these guys do come up a little quicker than 36 months, but most of them don't become real significant contributors. It's rare until that time. It it is very rare. And so you're playing the odds, right? The odds were against the blues to be able to win the lottery. They didn't. They could have one in 20 times that they did that. The spinning around and they get the balls that are shot out like one in 20 times. Blues are going to have the number one overall pick, but the odds were against them. The same thing is true with them picking at number 10 overall. Is it possible that they end up taking a guy that is way better than anybody expected? We just missed on him for whatever reason, and he's ready to go as soon as this year. It's possible. The odds are heavily weighted against that. And so if you have this kid that is considered to be a legit top three talent in this class, some have said he's in that top group. He's an elite tier prospect that if he was able to come over right now, he would be selected a no-doubt or top three selection. Yeah, if he wasn't in a KHL contract, I've seen multiple people, including Craig Button, say there would be argument if it's going to be Bedard or Mikoff first overall. He's that good. And so if you have an opportunity to take that guy, and especially if you have the real opportunity to trade up for him, I, I would be in favor of it. Is yeah. it a gamble? Yeah. But man, the, the, the odds of this paying off, it's like that same game parlay that you hit. Like The odds are great of hitting it. <laughs> but if they do, man, that payout is amazing. Yeah. It was a gamble to trade up and get Vladimir Tarasenko, and I'd say that paid off pretty well for the Blues, and it was a gamble for Minnesota, although he was drafted in the fifth round, to draft a Kirill Kaprizov because they didn't know if he was going to be coming over. Heck, it took him four years to get him over to the NHL. I'd say they're happy with that gamble right now. The best part about this is if you are able to accomplish both things, and let's say Ross Colton is the guy that Doug isolates and you acquire him, your team is better than what they were last year just on paper right now to at least be a playoff team next year. Then in two years, we're talking about taking a playoff team to being one of the top teams in the Western Conference if this kid has that talent available to him. I would take that gamble every day of the week if that player falls 
And if he falls, I would not put it past Doug Armstrong to say, we got to get this kid. Alex, you mentioned that there's a bunch of names of players that could be like the fit in the middle of this lineup mm-hmm. that they're looking for. I, I think they're going to trade for that guy. I don't think they're going to sign him. I think one of those first round picks, my guess, has been earmarked by the organization by saying this will not be our pick. It will be by it will be selected by somebody else. And instead, we will have a veteran 26 to 28 year old years old, either in a, a pending RFA or a guy that has two to three years left on his deal that can come in here and maybe be for us what Kapanen or Verona were at the end of the season. I went through yesterday to try to find guys that kind of fit into this range and specifically trying to pluck them from teams that have, for whatever reason, either cap issues, um, roster turnover questions, stuff like that. Here are a few of the names. I don't know how many, if any of these guys will actually be available, but a few names that might be of interest to the Blues this offseason. Connor Garland from the Vancouver Canucks. Former Coyote. He's 27 years old. He's got three years remaining on his deal. It's $5 million per year. Is that too much for the Blues? Possibly. But that that's one name that came to mind for me. Sam Bennett. The next two names, I'm going to be fully upfront. I don't know if they're going to be available this offseason. The Panthers are potentially going on a run here. My guess is they're going to try to run this thing back if they can. Sam Bennett is a really good player for the Panthers. He's 27 years old. He's making $4.5 million over the next He's two years. He's a former third overall pick by Buffalo. Carter Verhage. Panthers, 28 years old, two years left on his deal, $4.2 million per year. I would be pretty shocked yeah, if the not, Panthers move on from I him. would say that's going to be a very low percentage. Scott Lawton, he's a Flyers forward, 29 years old, three years left on his deal, $3 million per year. The Flyers don't know what they're doing. They're trying to figure this thing out. Yeah, they're an issue. Nico Sturm, playing for the Sharks, 28 years old, two years, $2 million. Not a super exciting player, but he's a fine guy. He could come in and help you. Uh, Lexi Lafreniere, we've brought up. Ross Colton, you've brought up. He's a Lightning player that's an RFA. Both of those guys are RFAs. Final name that I would bring up again. Don't know how realistic this is. Andrew Mar- Margiapani. Ah, uh, Margiapani, huh? He's with the Calgary Flames. We're gonna bring them up one more time. Uh, just make a package deal. Twenty-seven years and old. Weger. I'm in. He's got two years left at five point eight million dollars. He's got a modified no trade clause. He is a very good player. I have no idea what the Flames' plans are, man. No clue. <laughs> they don't either. They don't have a GM. They don't have a coach. Like they, <laughs> there are a lot of questions there. They tried to get this thing into a place where they're just like, whoo, turnkey, ready to go this year after trading um, Matthew Kachuk last off season. After losing Goudreau, yeah, that worked out for them. And now they're stuck with some big time yeah. salaries, with aging players, and they've got some really good players on that team. Are they going to try to reinvest? Are they going to try to uh, diversify their lineup by maybe making a hockey trade? Are they just going to sell off? I don't know. But if they do, that's a guy that maybe would make sense. Yeah. Are there names that I just brought up that immediately jump out to you? The only reason, and I love Maggiapani, name purposes only, get that Italiano in, in house, but uh, he's, he's uh, like, if you're going off what Doug said, it's 26, 27 age frame. He's 29. Mm-hmm. I think that's on the outside a little bit from what he's going for. I, I like the idea of Connor Garland. Connor Garland was a really good player for the Arizona Coyotes. He's dipped a bit with Vancouver, but let's be real. Vancouver's a dumpster fire. Um, and all of the advanced numbers love what he did this year. He, he matches the identity if they're going speed. He's ten, tenacious on the puck, and he goes to the front of that. Honestly, he reminds me a lot of Jaden Schwartz, the way that he plays. So, yeah, he would Meant be somebody... That. He'd be somebody I'd look at, but I also think the priority, if I'm Doug, I'm going to start and say I need to get a center. 
and Connor Garland's not a center. If Buchnevich has sold you on the fact that he's ready to play center for you, then go get Connor Garland. But that's why I would have Garland behind Lafreniere, and I know Lafreniere is also not a center, but I think the upside is so much better. But Ross Colton would be number one on that list because he's the center and he's young, and you got an RFA status to where you could lock him up. He re- he's he's like prime Ivan Barbashev for you, dude. Ross Colton's the guy. Ross Colton's the guy. Like you, you pinpointed him. He's an RFA. He's not going to make crazy amounts of money. He is on a team that probably can't invest in a player well, like that. Well, they already did in Nick Paul. Nick Paul was their Ross Colton, and they chose him over Ross Colton. And they need draft picks. <laughs> like they, they have to be able to replenish some of their system right now. They have, they don't pick until the sixth round this season. They've, they've got nothing. That's insane. Colton is a guy that is super physical. He had 190 hits this year, so he's getting two or three a game. Like. He's 26 years old. He's in that age range. He's cheap. Everything. Yeah. He plays center. Mm-hmm. He's a left-handed shot. Everything about Ross Colt makes so much sense for this team. He's six foot, 200 pounds. Hits. That's the guy. Playoff performer. That's the guy. Right? He's the he's guy. Played in a winning organization. And, and I'm telling you, Doug Armstrong knows who he's targeting in the trade. I mean, read JR's piece. He essentially said it's like I'm just giving them the grace period before we call them to make a trade. But also. Root against the Dallas Stars and root against the Toronto Maple Leafs because you really need those picks to be 23-24 because if they dip to 31-32, you're not making the trade that we're thinking you're going to make. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, just saw that Ryan Helsley is on the Foul Territory podcast. I will give you what he had to say. He specifically talked about the catcher situation in about 10 minutes or so, but coming up next, the junk drawer. We've got a good story for you here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer. T-Bone, what do you got for us? Guys, a uh, 51-year-old male in Germany. Uh, he's going to regret A, going on a blind date, and uh, B, trying to uh, have a sex game that went wrong in the woods. A what? Oh, okay. yeah. hey, I'm in. A sex game gone wrong yep. in the woods. Yep. And man, that's worse than the toe sucker. Yeah, true. It is. It is. Uh, well, in I, I, Germany. Hold on, let's finish, I guess, Berlin, first. The police say a 51-year-old man who was left tied up in the woods when a sex game went awry had a lucky escape after a cyclist and a hunter heard his screams for help. In a statement (laughs) Friday, police said the man appeared to have been tied up by a woman he met online. After she had done so, the woman received a phone call and fled the woods suddenly, leaving the man behind in a helpless state. The 51-year-old told the officers that he had a box cutter on him for such a situation, which that is good game planning. (laughs) What? But seemed to have... Misunder or have underestimated the woman's bondage skills because he was unable to reach the knife. Police say. Okay, so I got a few follow up questions. So many follow ups right now. Do you want me to pick? Uh, Can I paint I, the picture a little bit more here? Please. Was he nude? Uh, no, he was not nude. But was he police not? said oh, the man was sense. discovered fully dressed but firmly bonded with ropes and a pantyhose over his head atop a deer hunting platform near the town of. Oh, it wasn't Berlin. It was Buckenberg. Oh, man. Uh, that's less interesting to oh, me. Oh man. I this thought lady, this was going to be. That's lady. not a sex game. That's she. Oh, I don't know. This lady was she about tied to do him some up and weird left him stuff. to die. That's what she did. She was trying to kill him. Well, what was he doing with a box cutter out there? Uh, you never know. I walk around with a, a thing of chapstick. Some people might think that's weird. 
You know? Same thing. Can you just compare chapstick to a box cutter? Sure, he probably has a pocket. Some people have a pocket knife. I've got chapstick. Pocket knife and box cutter are two very different things. He gets tied up in the woods. I know he's not getting uh, free. <laughs> was was this, a, this a sex game or like a murder game going on? Because I, that's I what think this, this was like. supposed to be. A you said it was game. a deer carving station he was tied up on? He was tied to a tree, essentially. But I guess there's something. A, a tree stand. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This you guys lady... don't know what a tree stand is? Come on. Am I the hunter no, no, on I the know, show? I know what that is. But no, I, yeah, I think this I was don't. supposed to be hunky-dory. And, well, yeah. it was a lot more like what happened in Seinfeld. But he didn't get robbed, which Man, is a good thing. This, uh, this is why you don't go on social media to look for dates. Like, oh, dating websites are okay, but if you go to... I, I think this is... You just don't all go to this... the woods hoping to have some fun. Why not? Maybe well, you're going to maybe... be tied up. Oh, hard disagree. I think all of this sounds great until he got tied up and stuck in the woods. Are you into being tied up, BK? Man, all of us have our thing. No shame for anybody. Yeah, you can do I whatever like, you want I like, at home. I like um, feet that are covered up. Hey, you don't like sucking on toes? Amen. You don't like getting tied up? Whatever, man. It, t- tomato, tomato, you know? Uh, this guy, apparently, I would imagine he probably does like getting his toes sucked. If he's into this, he probably is Or getting him cut off. He's carrying a box cutter with him. Um, what do you shout in the woods when you're tied up, too? I do wonder. Help. Help. I got tied up. What was the selling point for him to be fully clothed and get tied up? Because he, it sounds like he was into this at first, where he's like, hey, this is fine. Ain't no problem here. That's a good follow-up question. And then she left. Yeah, how and are you he getting realized, your clothes off? <laughs> I'm in danger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in danger. The funny thing is, he must have really enjoyed his uh, experience, if you can call it that. Because he, he, one, he was unharmed, but two, he refused to provide information about the woman's identity. Yeah, he was, he's trying for round two. Yeah. He, he's swiping right again. Yeah, yeah. He had he's, so much fun. He's not swiping right. He is super swipe. I would love to note what he told his friends about this. Ah, man, I found this chick who was into t- being tied up or going to the woods bringing my box cutter just because of safety but we're gonna get a freak on in the woods my favorite part is i brought it for safety i did not know she tied me up so tight though <laughs> do you think when she was tied it was like oh yeah hey, hey i uh i, I can't i can't call. move my hands right now like how are we gonna do oh why oh the funny oh, thing okay. is is like <laughs> she gets a phone call she leaves but doesn't come back like, well, yeah, how do you she, forget she completely they, about him? They both had plans, and they were very different. Yeah, both of them, like, had <laughs> an see, idea would, of how I that would, was going to go. I don't fully understand what her plan was, because... Clearly, to tie him up and to leave him in the woods. Well, if you're going to do that, shouldn't you rob him? Well, I don't well, think maybe that he didn't have anything. He had a box cutter. I feel like the uh, the intent here... You're going to rob him was, for the box cutter? <laughs> was not to, like, <laughs> to hurt him financially or physically so much as it was to hurt him emotionally well, oh, work. No. he wants he wants another chance we just Apparently. found out i just like are you shouting in the woods help i've been tied up in a very strange dating meetup coming up next it's time to talk about paul de young's future here in st louis is it going to be a little longer than we expected and ryan helsley talked about wilson Contreras. we'll let you hear what he had to say coming up next here on 101 espn we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn Swing fly ball, belted left center. There's number 14 for the lead. Just the way he's stepping in the box is different. Um, there's a calmness to him. There's confidence. Uh, but he's taking some really good at bats, driving the baseball, going the other way, pulling it when needed. But overall, it's been it's been fun to watch. How about Paul DeYoung alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson? I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. 
Paul DeYoung's batting 350. He's slugging 650. He's getting on base more than 40% of the time so far this year. Alex Paul DeYoung looks like an all-star. Now he's done it for 12 games. There's a lot more time that he's going to have to do this for before we fully buy into what we're watching. But Paul DeYoung's your starting shortstop right now, and he absolutely should be your starting shortstop right now with what he's done at the plate. How much are you buying into this, though? Do you, are, are, is what we're seeing real in your mind, Alex? No. Um, and I apologize, Paulie D, if you're listening, which I know that you are. Um, but you're still in this like honeymoon period of returning from an IL slash rehab stint to figure it out. I remember last year this happened and I just pulled it up from August 2nd to August 13th. He was this way also where he was hitting, he was picking up some RBIs. He showcased the power in that time frame. He picked up two home runs and six doubles. But after that, then it went silent again. And so that's why I'm not sold on this. If I get a full month of this Paul DeYoung, then I'm ready to buy back in and say, yeah, right now he deserves to be in the lineup. But I'm still in this honeymoon period of, yeah, Paul DeYoung's figured it out temporarily. But with the league, when the league figures it out with Paul DeYoung, then what does he look like? And that's, that's what I was going to bring up. I, I want to know what he looks like when he goes through a struggle. Because that's where it went awry last year was, he came back. He looked really good after coming back from uh, being demoted down to Memphis. And I was like, hey, maybe he figured it out. And then, like, the moment things went south, he was just never able to get rid of that snowball effect. It just kept going down the hill, and the snowball kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And he continued to struggle. And he was just really bad at the plate last year. That's what I'm curious to see with Paul DeYoung. What happens when he goes through his first kind of 0 for 15 stretch with this new swing? Is he able to get out of it and just turn things around and forget about it and put it in the past, put it in the rear view mirror like he uh, he's saying all the right things post game too. I think he said that to uh, Derek Gould over the weekend or last night. Um, so that's what I'm looking to see. Yes, you continue to throw him out there because he's the hot bat right now, but what happens when he goes through that first kind of cold spell? Is he able to bounce back from it and get back to being this guy, or is it just going to be, oh, yeah, it ended up it was just a 20-game stretch where Paul Young was hot? That time frame that I just pulled up, so it was 11 games, 37 at-bats. He had a 324 batting average, 432 on-base percentage, 622 Damn. slug, 1,000 OPS, two home runs, five doubles, nine RBIs, and 11 strikeouts. So basically the exact same as yep. what we've seen so and far And then from August 14th, um, until the end of the season, he wrapped up that season with, where was he? What did he wrap up with 2022? Sorry. Uh, 157 batting average, 245 on base percentage, and a 530 OPS. So, so, like, he drastically dropped off. That was a two-week stretch where you had Paul DeYoung, and you're like, damn, is he back? And then nothing. And that, to me, is the league adjusting to Paul DeYoung. So, the reason why I bring this up is because... I'm with both of you. I don't think this is going to sustain. I don't think Paul DeYoung, like forget th- batting 350. Everybody knows that's not real. Like no, nobody does that. Or he's going to be an all-star and he'll potentially get a long-term contract extension, whether it's here or elsewhere. You giving him a 10-year, 100-mil no, column? absolutely not. Okay. But I don't care. Like What you're watching right now is a guy that can take some of the pressure off of other players in your lineup. And the Cardinals have been seeking this. Over the last few weeks, they've been looking for anybody to come in and just like for a two week stretch. Hey, take some of the load off of Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Gorman, and take some of this pressure off of Nolan Arenado, who's still going through it at the plate right now. And if Paul DeYoung can be that guy, great, man. Hopefully it sustains for another week or two. That's all you really need out of him, because over time, Lars Newbar looks like himself right now. 
I think Brendan Donovan is starting to click. I think things are starting to fall into place for him. We've seen better at-bats for Dylan Carlson, even if the numbers aren't you know, jumping off of the page. Andrew Kisner, surprisingly enough, has been pretty good at the plate lately. Sign on an extension. Wilson Contreras, for like three and a half weeks now, has been one of your best hitters on a night-in, night-out basis. The lineup is starting to click in a way that it needed to, and Paul DeYoung's a big part of that lately, man. The power that he has brought has completely changed the way that we're watching this team. They're slugging 470 in their last seven games. A lot of that is Paul DeYoung. And when they slug, everything starts to look a lot better offensively. It's no longer that station-to-station stuff. It's it's extra base hits here. It's, all right, you get a guy on with a single, and now we're going to steal. And we've seen a little bit more of that lately. I, I like the way that this offense looks right now with Paul DeYoung a part of it. I am very curious to see what it looks like with him going up against a lefty over the next three days. DeYoung has struggled in his career against left-handed pitchers. He is, he has like reverse splits. He's a guy that is much better against righties than he is against lefties. Each of the next three starters are left-handed pitchers that are going to be on the mound against you. I think they will start DeYoung at short in all three of these games. I think you just kick Tommy Edmond over to second. T- Tommy Edmond's great against lefties. And then you probably leave Brendan Donovan in left field. But this will be one of the first tests of how much they think what we're seeing from Paul DeYoung is real. Because if they don't think it's real, well, then he probably comes out of the lineup and then you put Juan Yepes into left. That's the one thing they do need to be really careful with now that they're going into this stretch of lefties. You're playing better. You're getting some confidence. But now that you're going against the lefty, if you're going to shift guys around to match up with those splits... You're going to change your defense and you've had yeah. the same defense for three straight games that has given you the confidence to play this way. Now you're going to shift Tommy Edmond over to second, although he's moved back and forth. But now you're going to take Brennan Donovan if you do decide to take him out of left field or you're taking Nolan Gorman off of second base. How does that look? Because you've built up that confidence. Are you still going to be able to maintain that efficiency defensively? Yeah, I, I think if you look at it, I, I think you just continue to ride the high hand. I understand his numbers are bad against lefties in his career. I think you continue to just throw Paul DeYoung out there. I mean, worst case scenario, you you kind of run through the test that we were just talking about. If he goes 0 for 9, 0 for 12, 1 for 12 against these three lefties, okay, well now let's see how he responds to that. Let's see if he can continue to do it. I, I really don't want to see Juan Yepes in the outfield. I, I want him being, whether he can't be DH now because yep. of the Contreras situation, but I want him to be a bat that I can go to off the bench later in a game because I Wrigley Field, Fenway Park, very tough places for a left fielder to be playing at. And Juan Yepes' defense isn't his specialty. So I don't have an issue if they decide to run Donovan out there in left field and they go with Eminent second and DeYoung at short. So final thing on this, I mentioned before the break that Ryan Helsley was on the foul territory um, show earlier today. If you're not familiar, Eric Kratz, who we had on the show yesterday, he's one of the hosts. He was a part of this interview with Helsley. He was asked about Wilson Contreras and whether or not the pitching staff needs to take ownership over their struggles as opposed to blaming Wilson Contreras. He basically said, yeah, listen, we were we we're spoiled with Yadi or Molina. We didn't have to really do a whole lot of work. Yadi did all of that for us, and it's been different so far with Wilson Contreras this year. He was then asked about what it looks like moving forward. Here's what Ryan Helsley had to say about what the future outlook is for Contreras as the Cardinals catcher. Whatever the differences have been so far you know we can definitely handle those and you know get on the right page and I think he's going to be a great catcher for us obviously for, for the next you know five years that we have him and um you know I think just with him getting back there more and you know guys feeling like they're on the same page with them and getting more comfortable with each other I think is uh what's going to need to happen for that to kind of turn you buying it 
You th- are, are we going to see this soon, do you think? I, I think at some point over you, the next... You buy it. I think that Friday he's starting. I, I, at this point, I like he he mentioned it. We're going to have to start seeing him behind the plate. This is the thing that Eric Kratz told us. This is the thing that I talked about with Andrew Kisner on Sunday. Dude, you don't get better at catching without catching. So then why the heck is Trez Barrera up here then? I think for insurance. I, don't, I, I think when they made the roster move on Saturday, they didn't expect that it would be a quick fix. I, I, don't I think, think it, the Cardinals thought on Saturday. This is my guess after what we've seen, how this has all played out. I think on Saturday, they thought that Wilson Contreras wasn't going to be a catcher for them the rest of the season. I think they thought he was going to be a DH and, and an in a week. You've decided, no, he can be. Yeah, that- I don't I don't know what changed. I think some of that is Wilson Contreras. I, there's been some of some reporting on this. Some of it is we have to read between the lines on it. I think Wilson Contreras went to the Cardinals and said, I wasn't kidding this offseason when I said I want to be a catcher. That's who I am. That is my position. And so I want to do whatever you guys think is necessary for me to get back behind the plate. And whether it's that, whether it's Adam Wainwright talking to him, talking to the staff, whether that's Mo trying to make these, I, I don't know what changed specifically or what led them to this decision. I think the decision is now he's going to get back behind the plate. I think part of it is also they realized they were scapegoating him and it's really the pitchers, not the catcher. And I think Wayno, who calls his own games, who was on the morning show today and basically said, hey, we're loving all over Wilson Contreras right now. I love the guy. That guy's my favorite. He just so much energy. I think he's going to catch uh, Adam Wainwright on Friday. I'd be shocked if he doesn't. I'm sorry, but to me, like as a fan looking at it, you created this circus, and now in a matter of a week you're saying, oh, no, we're good. He'll figure it out. That's ridiculous. Did, if that's the case, then all you could have just said at the beginning of this circus is, hey, we need to take a step back with Wilson. He's going to be back behind the plate in a couple of weeks. We'll be fine. I don't think that was the plan. Then I, that I even looks BK. worse, that you didn't even know what the plan I, was. I think the plan changed, uh, not just Contreras going to them, because I I mean, look, that's kind of the job interview uh, thing we've talked about. You know, they fell in love in a job interview. It's easy to say the right things in a job interview, but can you do what is needed once you get into the workplace? Um I, I think what changed was Contreras said, yeah, I, I'm not going to be an outfielder. And I think the moment that happened, it was, oh, bleep. That was where we were going to put him. Because mm-hmm. just talking about it today, it is tough to come up with the lineup the right way to do it because should Juan Yepes be getting at-bats today? Probably. Your best lineup probably would have Contreras in left field with Juan Yepes as the DH in today's game. Yep. But because Contreras said, I'm not going to be an outfielder, you've basically clogged that DH spot. And it's tough to kind of put together and build the best lineup for the St. Louis Cardinals, whether that's right or wrong. I, I think that's what changed. I think when Contreras said, I don't want to go to the outfield, they went, oh, well, okay, well, the so, best way for us to have better lineup flexibility is he's going to have to learn to catch, and we're going to do that. Because I do think the plan was he's not going to catch the rest of the year. He may not be another catcher. He may not catch first during the rest of this five-year deal. So then what's their message going to be if he goes out there and catches for Wayno on Friday and Wayno gets lit up? We going to blame Wilson Contreras again? No, because he's not calling the game. Yeah, this is, this game. is why I think it's important is I, if you're looking at like what Wilson Contreras contributes, where the questions are, it's with his game calling. His receiving has been fine. It's been exactly what they signed him to be. He's not a good framer, but nobody expected him to be. I don't know that he's as good at throwing guys out as some suggest, but he's not bad at it. And so I think that he's fine behind the plate, especially when Adam Wainwright is out there calling his own game. I would also add this. I think this is part of what changed for them as well. 
Prior to April 27th, the Cardinals starters had a 5.2 ERA, which was 24th in Major League Baseball. Why do I bring up April 27th? Well, because that was when they first started making the change of going at first 50-50 with Kisner and Contreras and then eventually just handing it over to Andrew Kisner. 5.2 ERA for the starters, 24th in Major League Baseball. Since then, since they made that change, 5.2 ERA, 22nd in Major League Baseball. Now let's do the relievers. On April 27th, they had a 4 ERA exactly. That was 17th in Major League Baseball. Since then, they have a 3.85 ERA, 15th in Major League Baseball. The pitching staff has been the exact same. That's the truth. They've basically been the same since they made this switch over to Andrew Kisner. So, what does that lead you to believe? It leads you to believe that it wasn't the catcher. It leads you to believe that the problem is you don't have the pitchers to be able to make this thing work. You know who stunk last night? Jack Flaherty. You know who was behind the plate last night? Andrew Kisner. Do you see those two strike problems that he had yeah, once again in the third inning? Wilson was he was calling them from the dugout. Yeah, clearly the two strike stuff that they were throwing once again didn't even make any sense to Jack Flaherty. We'll talk about some NFL quick hitters next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. Time for some NFL quick hitters. We'll get to Chris Kerber coming up here in just about 10 minutes. Alex, have you seen the way that the NFL is scheduling things this year, how they've changed things up a bit? No, but I've seen a lot of frustration with the NFL scheduling. So basically the way that it's working and today is their international schedule day. Oh, so yeah. exciting. They everybody. Get to do all of the videos they've been working for four months yeah. on. So basically what they're going to do is they're completely changing the way that schedules work. Now teams, uh, not every team will play in primetime this year. They're not making a minimum. Uh, Teams will... There is no longer the same firm AFC games go on CBS. NFC games go on Fox every Sunday. Is that because of the flex that they have the opportunity with? There's more flexibility within the schedule now, which is basically the NFL saying, hey, give us all of your money. We're trying to get even more money from these TV rights deals that we have. So for fans, this sucks, dude. Because you're probably not going to know until like a week or two in advance what time your favorite team is playing and potentially even what day they're going to be playing because they could switch things up at the drop of the hat, basically. For us as fans on the outside, if you're not going to games, it potentially can be great because we're going to get better matchups in primetime as a result of these changes that they're making. So it really just depends on your perspective. If you're a season ticket holder, this is brutal. If you're somebody that's going to like one or two games a year and you're trying to pick out ahead of time which days work for you is going to be brutal. If you're just watching on TV, it'll be great. And that's why I love this. If it's exactly what you just said, that's awesome. Because I'm getting more entertaining entertainment with the value of these games. And I don't have to worry about who's going to be playing. Because whomever it's going to be, it's going to be a good matchup. And the NFL is looking at that. I think that's the smart way to go about this. Yeah, I I would understand the frustration from fans about it, though. Because that is kind of annoying, not being able to find out until you're, what, you say, two weeks away. Like you're trying to make plans like when you buy the ticket, probably three months in advance. Uh, But for us, when you're viewers, when you're just viewing it at home. Yeah, I I like this a ton because like you said, you're going to get great matchups. And hopefully from now on, I don't have to look at it and go prime. Two teams that have like two total wins. And this is a primetime game. Joe Buck doesn't even want to be there. Like, okay, I can understand that. Yeah, Let's be real. This is the Al Michaels rule. 
They don't want Al Michaels to be miserable <laughs> anymore. They're like, we need Al Michaels to last through this contract. Let's make this easier. Beyond that, the NFL did announce some of the matchups that we're going to see this year. Some of them are pretty exciting. So they, they announced the international games. We'll get to those here in just a minute. There are a few others, though, that they announced, including on November 24th, the first ever Black Friday game. We call this the let's kick Mizzou while they're down game because Mizzou also plays on Black Friday well, against Arkansas every year. They probably won't be at a good point in their season at that yeah, time. They'll be battling for bowl eligibility, six and six. Eli Dolphins Dr- versus Jets. Fun. That's going to be awesome. Ooh. Who's the quarterback for the Dolphins? Uh, two, not gonna be two. Oh, not gonna be two. Uh, you've got him against Aaron Rodgers. That'll be a fun one. On Christmas Day, we've got the Giants against the Eagles, which <laughs> better, should be a lot of fun. Better known as my wife is ticked off that there's a football game on Christmas Day. And then on New Year's Eve. Oh, here we go. The Cincinnati Bengals at the Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, <gasps> they did it right, dude. I will give yeah. the NFL credit. Though, like, who knows what happens two months from now, much less six months from now with these games and they're not good yeah stop it (laughs) those games look awesome on paper i get football before the ball drops what is that a thursday friday what is new year's eve saturday Uh, new year's eve is a sunday this year oh that's christmas day is a sunday nice yeah christmas day is a monday this year and new year's eve is a sunday so Mm. we've got a couple of fun games there here is your international series this year curious what your guys thoughts are on these games the first one will take place in london as it typically does at wembley stadium Falcons versus Jaguars. If you're somebody from London, how are you feeling about that? I'm going to go to the soccer game. October 8th. I'll watch from home. Jaguars against the Bills. I'll go to that That's game. That's at Tottenham's uh, that stadium. Be fun. Is yep. it, do you, what week was that one? Uh, it's October 8th. Because I, okay. I, I think Jacksonville's really, are, what, twice this year? When's it, when, is, the Fal- yeah, is that like the first or second happened. week of the season for Fal- Falcons? Like uh, what, October what, 1st? No, that'll be like be a, week five-ish. I, I guess we can't really shoot that down because if the Falcons are better than what they're giving them credit for, hold that on, might actually on, be an entertaining game. On. They're sticking with Desmond Ritter. Does that I change your mind? I don't freaking I think know. The Falcons might be but they got Bijan Robinson, man. I, I would pick well, them. He can't to, throw the football. I think they're going to win that division. Doesn't matter if he can't throw it. He can Dude, run hold it. Hold on. Pause. Did he just say the Falcons are going to win the yeah. NFC South? What um, the hell's wrong with you? No, guys, the Jaguars are going to be there for a week. They're staying from October 1st. So October 8th. We'll just stay here for an extra week. We'll just stay there for 18 I would take Jacksonville on the spread in that game. October 15th, the Ravens (laughs) against the Titans. That will be a... Well, the Titans are going to be bad, so never mind. I'm not not really that excited about the game. This is one that bothered me. Yes, I am a upset Chiefs fan. Dolphins versus Chiefs in Germany. Tyreek Hill is making his return to can't, to play against the Chiefs. Oh, it was yeah. supposed to be an arrowhead, and they're doing this in German. You don't think they did that on purpose? That sucks, man. Nah, he should mind. he should be booed in Kansas City. Oh, don't worry, the Germans will <laughs> boo him so, too. I was gonna say, wait, even the Germans are going to hate Tyreek Hill. No, this is brutal. This could have been a really fun. Th- it could have been like Wilson Contreras going to Chicago because Tyreek Hill absolutely would have had 200 yards and three Look, touchdowns man, in that game against the Chiefs. You could still throw your beer at the television at home when he goes to Germany and beats the Chiefs. And then the final one, Colts and Patriots. Don't watch oh. that game. <laughs> that's, that's in Germany as well. <laughs> Gardner Minshew will be starting for him by the time they get to that game. Anthony Richardson, uh, BK's guy. Yeah, he'll be benched. No. He's going to yeah, be winning gonna AFC win. rookie no. or NFL Rookie no. of the Year. BK said he's won an MVP. Yeah. No, no, no. Just uh, Offensive Rookie of the Year. Bet on him to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. Bet on the Falcons to win the NFC. Man, and lose no, all of your money. Don't listen to BK. You might as well be lighting money on fire if you're taking those two bets. And bet on Chris Kerber. Join us next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues, joins us now via the 101 ESPN hotline. Always appreciate his time. Curbs, how you doing today, man? Brandon, doing well. How are you guys? Uh, we're doing all right. So the big news this week for the Blues that they will be selecting number 10 overall. They did not win the lottery, uh, which was the expected result. They had a 3.5% chance to be able to move up in the lottery. Uh, unfortunately, the Chicago Blackhawks did exactly yeah, Curbs, that. did you break your television when you saw the Chicago won it? No, I went into that draft expecting Chicago to win it. Yeah, conspiracy, because we all know that the draft is a conspiracy. Yeah, Cur- Curbs and Ferrario, same, same page I, on this one. No, listen, I, I, I do believe that when it came to the Pittsburgh Penguins winning Sidney Crosby, um, I, be- I believe that it was set up that way, at least in the most favorable way for him to do it. Uh, do I believe it since then? No, I, I don't. It's just, it, it just it, you know... Hell, it's just lucky. But I I look at it this way, guys, to be honest with you. There were only three teams in the top ten that, in my opinion, deserved the first overall pick. Those were the San Jose Sharks, the Washington Capitals, and the St. Louis Blues. And here's my reasoning for this. Every single one of those other teams has recently had a very high pick somewhere in the top five, most of them in the top three. Okay? If they haven't, some of those other teams – have also had a run of seven, eight years, right, where they have had somewhere in that stretch a heck of a draft pick and have just been able to prove absolutely futile in terms of getting out of the top ten and actually building a team. I believe that those other three teams really earned that number one overall pick because through the actual process of competing and winning, and and I know San Jose Sharks did not win a Stanley Cup, but they, they went to a Stanley Cup final. They went to several conference finals. And for a long, long time, I mean, it's a franchise that has only missed the playoffs nine times since they came into the league, right? So, you know, in, in my opinion, those three teams have played the process right. San Jose, sure. Did they tank this year? Yeah, well, they finally earned one year of tanking. But I still believe in, 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 in what that market is. The Washington Capitals and the St. Louis Blues have won. They did it right for agency, age, whatever. Game, uh, has, has the cap, flat cap bit these teams. They've done it right. Those three teams, in my opinion, earned the, another, the number one. The other teams in there have not done enough to get out of the basement to earn it, in my book. I thought Arizona should have won it personally. <laughs> well, let me, let, listen, here's, here's, oh, here's no. why maybe – okay, so Bill Armstrong's running that franchise now, right? Okay, they've tried to tank now for two or three years in a row since he got there. That's, that, that, that's the reality of it. They were playing for the high draft picks. Now, when you look at all the draft picks that they have accumulated as well, that is part of his plan. He is no doubt in one of those seven to ten-year rebuilding plans. Uh, but, but in my opinion, the Arizona Coyotes have been so bad at drafting on a regular basis or have been so poor of a franchise for this league that they don't deserve the number one in my book. Like, they haven't done enough to earn, I, I think, it for their market. Like, and so, to me, I, I go with the earning process on this one. Having said that, hey, look, Blackhawks win it. So be it. We get to see Bedard in the division now probably for quite a long time. And Jaden Schwartz was a 14th pick. Tarasenko was a 16th. If the Blues still have some prowess with their drafting, I think the Blues are going to get a hell of a player. Well, and that's where I wanted to go next with this, Curves, because we actually had a really fun conversation when we did our draft lottery show Monday night, and we had it earlier today talking about the pick that the Blues could have and talking about the uh, the Russian player, uh, Matvey Mikov, who, I, I mean, 
everybody has said that he could be one of the best prospects available in this draft, but because he is signed for the next couple of years in the KHL, he might drop. If this player does drop, could you see a scenario where the Blues say, hey, look, he's a couple of years before we even see him in the NHL, but if this player is available for us to potentially trade up to get, we might take a chance on that. You know what? I, I would, being that they've done that with a guy like Tarasenko, well, we know what Doug Armstrong's feelings are on that. The challenge that you've had is when you drafted Vladimir Tarasenko, Yarmo Kekalainen was able to go over to different parts of Siberia. He was able to go over to different areas and really not only scout him, but recruit him. They wanted to make sure that if they made the trade and, and were able to pick Tarasenko, that he was coming over. And Yarmo Kekalainen did his homework. And, and at one point in time, a scout went to, to thought he was going to be sneaky. A scout for another team said, "I'm going to go, I'm going to go way out in the middle of nowhere here for where Tarasenko was playing a game, and uh, and talk to him after the game." When that scout got there, Tarasenko was already talking to a guy in a suit, talking to a guy in a suit, and that guy was Yarmo Kekalainen. The, the Blues did their homework there the, because of COVID, and then obviously some a lot of the recent travel situations and what's going on with the Ukraine. Getting over to Russia to do that kind of thing has not been available or you flat out chosen not to do it. And frankly, anybody could understand that. So there in, in taking a Russian player with a high pick right now, he's got to beat in your mind that much better than anybody else to assume the risk. Because right now, one, you saw how long it took. Uh, and, and eventually the, the Minnesota wild had to go over and buy Kaprizov out of the last year of his KHL contract. They weren't sure about it. There were the issues, remember, when last summer when Kaprizov came over early because they were worried that he was going to be scooped up and thrown into the military. Okay, And, and that issue there. There's so many more issues around Russian hockey players right now that didn't exist just a few years ago that you've got to be, I think, really careful and sure there. I, Me personally, I don't know that I'm willing to wade into that waters that high in the first round. You know, if you get a good pick with the 10th pick and then maybe you haven't traded one of those other picks later in the first round and he happens to be there, maybe I'm willing to take that chance. I, I've got to be, I've got to have some assurances that I just don't know what exists, to be honest with you. Curb's final question. We'll get you out of here on this. Jeremy Rutherford had a great conversation as part of his piece earlier today on The Athletic uh, with Doug Armstrong about what the offseason plan looks like. Just kind of 10,000 foot view. Uh, what's the outlook for the St. Louis Blues? And he said, hey, when we didn't win the lottery, it, it became clear that whoever we draft at 10 overall is probably not going to see the NHL for the next three years. It's just the way that development works uh, for most of these guys that will be there at 10. It would have been different if they had Connor Bedard uh, or if they get the number two overall pick because those guys might have been able to come up as soon as next year. Maybe they're your third line center right away. So now he's going to have to go to market. And whether that means free agency or maybe more likely somebody that comes in via trade, he has made it very clear. He wants a guy that's 26 to 28 years old. He wants a guy that is either a restricted free agent uh, for that bridge deal or has two to three years remaining on term right now. Curbs, when you think about that, we, we've we gone through some of the names, guys like uh, Connor Garland, uh, maybe a Russ Colton, Alexi Lafreniere. They're, they're te- names that immediately come to mind for us. Have you gone through the list yet and thought in your head what who are some guys that maybe make sense in that range for you? No, I, I haven't done that yet, uh, Brandon. And, and you know, one of the reasons why is I want to see just how some things shake out, uh, one, with this draft order and how that goes. You know, 
what Doug also said that plays a role in this is you've got your 16 teams that missed the playoffs. Okay. You're set on that one. You know that those are teams saying we're not good enough. We're going to move some pieces. We're going to do whatever. Then you've got your teams that lost in the first round of the playoffs. Okay. Those teams kind of then jump into the box with the, the other 16 teams, the Rangers going, okay, how did this happen? Well, they're, they're blaming a coach. Okay. Uh, you know, but what are they going to do with players? What is going to happen if this flat? And I really do think it's actually beneficial for the blues. If this cap does not go up this year, because it's going to really put the squeeze on teams like the Rangers and others. Whereas we've talked about the, 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 the four of us have talked about before that squeeze alone is going to open up some players. Um, I, I think you almost have to wait for the playoffs to, to play out a little bit and see how that shakes through, because that's going to really determine, you know, where things go. And, and in my book here, it, the ultimate key is what Doug is looking for is what a lot of other teams are looking for. Where Doug feels confident is he has some more assets maybe than other teams do to make one of those deals happen. And I think that's what's getting, you know, th- that's the traction that, that, that you need to be happy about because he does have those other picks. He does have some prospects. But even then, even then, I, I think Doug Armstrong is still going to have to move a player or two to free up some cap space in some other areas to be able to make the transition that he's wanting to make. He's Chris Kerber, voice of the blues. You can follow him on Twitter at his name, at Chris Kerber. Curbs, we appreciate the time as always, man. Looking forward to talking all of this over with you as we get further into this offseason. Hopefully next week we'll be talking about the Maple Leafs and the Dallas Stars getting eliminated, and that'll put some finality on where those picks will be for the blues as well. I'd love to see that. <laughs> Appreciate you, Curbs. That's Chris Kerber joining right, us here on 101 ESPN. To, to his point real quick, BK, I think the teams that you can cross off the list in terms of that would make trades with the Blues are the teams that advance to the conference final. After the second round, that's the finality that Curbs is talking about. To when these teams get eliminated in the second round, those teams are going to be the one that needs to make changes. Typically, when you see teams in the Western and Eastern Conference final, that team's going to carry over into the next season. The one caveat is this flat cap changes things, man. Mm-hmm. It makes things really hard for teams. And one team specifically that's running into that is the Panthers. I'm 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 fascinated yeah. to see what they do. I mean, it's... It's the Panthers, it's the Tampa Bay Lightning, it's the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, the Calgary Flames. There's like four or five teams. Yeah, Rangers are one of those as well. It's like four or five teams that are good teams Mm -hmm. and are hitting that crunch right now when it comes to what they're trying to do against the Carolina, too. And Carolina's got a ton of cap space, but they pretty much have like nearly all of their roster (laughs) that needs to be re-signed. So they could also be an interesting one. We'll hit the rewind talking about the Cardinals coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on PK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. If you've missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Thought we had some good conversations earlier today about Jack Flaherty, about where the Cardinals are at, why we're all 
not necessarily buying into the Cardinals so much as we're selling the rest of the division and what that means for uh, the immediate future for this team. Guys, we mentioned this earlier today. The Cardinals' next three games are going to be against left-handed starters. You got Steele, Paxton, and Sale are going to be the three guys that you're going up against. And then on Sunday, you do get Corey Kluber, who's a righty. Reason I bring this up is because right now you've got Nolan Gorman at second base. He can't be your DH currently because Wilson Contreras is in that spot. You've got Brendan Donovan in left, who they've been trying not to have face against left-handed pitching. And then you've got Lars Newbar in right, who has been playing against lefties, but typically batting ninth. You've got Juan Yepes on your bench. They talked about potentially putting him into the outfield during this stretch while Contreras is your DH. T-Bone, you brought up a really interesting point earlier, though, of you going to do that at Wrigley? You going to do that at Fenway? That's part of why I think on Friday you will see Wilson Contreras as your catcher for Adam Wainwright. Tonight, though, I think you see Brendan Donovan in left. I think you see Tommy Edmond at second, and I think you see Paul DeYoung at short against a left-handed starter. I, I would agree with that. I, I think that's what they're going to do. Look, if you're not playing in Wrigley Field and it's a win, the Windy City, and, it, and when you're in Boston, you got the uh, Green Monster out there. I think you could put Yepes in left field because yes, he's bad defensively, but there's not those other major elements playing a factor into it. And I, I think that's the decision making they're going to make tonight. I think they're going to go. You know what, Donovan's better defensively. We'll live with the lefty lefty matchup. And honestly, I don't understand why they don't like it, but he doesn't have a split, so I think they'll put him out in left field. I do believe if Contreras said, "Hey, I'll be a cat or I'll be a uh, outfielder for you guys," I think tonight you would have seen Contreras in left field with Yepes being the DH, but because he won't go to the outfield, and I'm not blaming him for that it's he can say that hey i don't feel comfortable i'm a catcher and a dh you have that dh spot that is now clogged with wilson Contreras, so you don't have the roster or roster slash lineup flexibility that i think they thought they were going to have i agree with all of that although i would say that you won the series you're in a three-game win streak i could see them putting yepes in left field tonight <sighs> just because you're not going to do it in boston and you say you got a day off tomorrow give Donovan a little bit of a rest or Donovan goes to second base if you don't want to use Paul DeYoung. But I could see them doing it tonight just because Brendan Donovan's been out there for, what is it, three straight, four straight games? Yeah. Hey, you guys can join me on Thursday night from 4 to 6 o'clock at Cybergs in O'Fallon, Illinois. We'll have a chance for a four-pack of premium seats to see the Scott Air Force Base Air Show. It's all courtesy of Budweiser. It's back on Saturday and Sunday at Scott Air Force Base. If you join me on Thursday, though, you can get entered to win a four-pack of reserved seats in an exclusive viewing area for Sunday's Air Show. You must be 21 or older to enter. Hope to see you on Thursday night at Cybergs in O'Fallon, Illinois. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Looking forward to talking to you guys tomorrow. Hopefully, we're talking about a four-game winning streak for the Cardinals here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.